Hey everyone, welcome to Red Planet. This week we're talking to Cradle Community's very own Chelsea and Kelsey about transformative justice, a new theory of justice that's becoming much more popular in leftist and especially abolitionist circles. We'll also talk about the Indonesian government acknowledging their anti-communist purge, the massive labor strikes that look to be going pretty much national in France right now, and Jeff Bezos wanting to put a flying camera in your house. Very cool. <laughs> but first, Kim and I had a little discussion about color theory. I so I mean one another one is um orange which just kind of means like anything goes or like some mm-hmm. people will use lavender for like looking for a, a group but like I don't think people generally like this kind of coding in Bay Beyblades is lost like most people don't know the Beyblades color coding and like mm-hmm. they'll just they'll just like let it rip with whoever they they can with and then like they won't find the, the best like Beyblades matching that they could get. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's always it's <sighs> always best to know who you're battling when you enter the the Beyblade. When you're about to let it rip, it's um it's important because yeah. when you when you when you just you pull back and you you know you just you want to know who's on the other side letting it rip. Back yeah, I you, think so. you know, like, exactly. Like I just yeah. I think some of the best Beyblades matches I've had, I've you know like the first message someone sent has been like. You know, this is exactly the way I pay, play Beyblades. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Just a, I, yeah. a photo of their colored Beyblade, you know? Yeah, they'll show me their, their, huge, their yeah. huge spinner. And I'm just like, okay, mm. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, welcome to Red Planet, a show where we talk about how to make a better world. Um, we do not have the scrunkly little peanut, uh, Dr. Jock oh, Mule, today. Mm. Um, R.I.P. But but <laughs> we do have beautiful Tim and beautiful Kira. Um, and beautiful so, Sophie. Yes. Thank you so much. <laughs> Let me ask Tim, what was the most base thing you did this week? Um, this week. Um, oh, actually, yes. So um, yeah, kind of a minor one, but it's still a thing. Um people that follow me on Twitter actually probably also saw I've been posting like little articles that have been popping up about um shitty landlords that have been forced to pay back you know, like their tenants, like refund their um, portions of their rent. And the reason I was posting a lot of that kind of stuff is because um, a friend of mine was in one of our group chats and was like, hey, I'd like, does, you know, anyone know anything about like what you can do if your landlord hasn't done this, blah, blah, blah. So I was able to send them like a bunch of really good uh, resources and also just, um, you know, those news articles that were examples of people that were in their exact situation who were able to get like, you know, like thousands of dollars of their rent refunded because their landlord wasn't providing, you know, just, and it's like basic stuff, like not having an insulated house, which down here we have an agreement where it's like the healthy homes bill or some shit like that, where landlords have to do those certain things. So um, yeah, so that's probably it for me. What about what about Soph? What about you? What was the most base thing you did this week? I uh, well, I did release my yay video, which I'd encourage people to check out. I'm just taking the opportunity to promote it because I am locked on Twitter right now, so I can't um, yes. promote it there. Sophie, um, what did but- you do? <laughs> Said some gamer words. I said some of my favorite words. And uh, some people had a problem with it. Any, um, but actually, I think the most the most based thing I did this week was I've been I've been checking in on Kira because I know that she works too hard and uh, doesn't make time for herself. It's true. It's so true. I've been sending an occasional message to just say, "Hey, I hope you're doing stuff you like and having a nice time." 
in um in the Patreon Discord, I'm just saying I've just added a meme to um give in the funny memes channel to give further context to Sophie's ban. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's cool. I know the most basic thing <laughs> Sophie's doing next week is holding herself accountable for her poor use of words on Twitter. So she's gonna <laughs> she's going to issue an apology. She's going to do better. She's going to, she's going to stay quiet for a bit and like, listen and, and just absorb uh, what other yes, people have to that's tell right. her. She'll do better. Yeah. She has listened. <laughs> I will be based next week by no longer describing myself with terms that put me in political and social community with people who face the same kinds of oppression as me. And that will, that will surely lead to liberation. Yeah. Absolutely will not tattoo them on your body. I don't know what you're talking about. Anyway, Kara, what was the most based thing you did this week? Well, I also checked in on Sophie, uh, which is something that I, I've been, it's not just something that like, I want to do for Sophie, but it's also like a lot of it for me, because I'm always really bummed out how much I don't reach out to my own friends. And I don't just like how, and how good it feels like when you check in on me, Sophie, it feels so good. It feels really good to feel like somebody else is thinking about you and cares about you enough to yeah. even send you like a little message. It doesn't have to be a big thing, you know? Yeah. And so um, I was uh, reached out to Sophie uh, this yeah. past week. And so that was, I think that was good for both of us. Um, we got each other's backs. It's good. Yeah. Yeah. It feels good. Um, I also bullied some people on Twitter uh, for playing the Hogwarts game. And um, <laughs> that is now that's based. <laughs> <laughs> and um, also Twitch just recently banned somebody for uh, this is not as based or anything, but it's just just an extension of what I was doing on Twitter, uh, trying to def- trying to defend uh, yet another uh, uh, streamer for being banned for anti white racism on Twitch. Oh my so, God. um, yeah, so mm. that, again, and not really a, something based, but just I wanted to throw it out there. This platform is uh. There's a reason we we phrase the stuff in the way we phrase it here and Red Planet. Mm-hmm. Uh, this platform is not very um, very kind to movements like ours. And I just want to remind people that Twitch has banned me like what ten times now. I think and the <laughs> yeah, last yeah. time they banned the last time they banned me was for two weeks for grouping white men with my commentary. Mm. So just <laughs> just just to speak, yeah. make everyone aware of what this platform is capable of. Uh, so yeah, if you, uh, if anyone's missing my use of game awards, uh, on Twitter this week, uh, you can find me on Mastodon and on Tumblr where I promise to use as many game awards as possible. Or the Patreon discord. That's true. I'll be using them there. I will. I, I promise. Uh, but how about some news? Uh, I, I say hoping to shift it onto someone else to talk, but then realizing that I am doing the first news item this week. So, uh, everyone listen up, because there was a big protest in Germany against a coal, against coal mine explosion. Uh, thousands of people demonstrated in persistent rain on Saturday to protest the clearance and demolition of a village in Western Germany that is due to make way for the expansion of a coal mine. The the notes here, I, this is why I stumbled on the title, because it said explosion, and I was like, hang on, what? I thought it was an expand, okay, whatever. Um, they're trying to expand the coal mine. Yeah, I think I, I I wasn't sure what they meant as well there in the headlines. Is it like, do they mean that it's like an explosion of coal mine activity? Basically, um, the the place is called uh, Lutzorath, uh, which is, and it's, as we said, it's like a small village. And um, yeah, they just want to demolish the, the fucking village. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. Isn't, isn't it great living in an economy? Um Swedish climate campaigner Greta Thunberg joined the demonstrations uh, as they protested the clearance of Lucerath. 
walking through the nearby village of Kienberg and past muddy fields. Protesters chanted, protesters chanted, every village stays and you are not alone. Um, according to the organizers, there were about 35,000 people who took part. Uh, the police who showed up were only about 15,000. So when we've talked before about like when this can come down to like the state or the people, it's really... I think just really important to remember that it's not impossible at all for like people to outnumber the number of cops that they oh, can yeah. send somewhere. Like yeah. even by huge figures like this, um, mm -hmm. uh, on sidelines of the protest, police said people broke through their barriers and some got into the Gartsweiler um, coal mine. So that's cool as well. That like the, the protesters are actually taking it like to the mine. Uh, Thinberg said the, the fate of Lutzerath and the expansion of the mine matters far beyond Germany, which, mm. yeah, I mean, like, yeah. If they're do if they're doing this shit, they're gonna yeah. Uh, environmentalists say bulldozing the village to expand the Gartsweiler coal mine would result in huge amounts of greenhouse gas, gas emissions, obviously, and also like bulldozing a village just like fucking don't do that. Um, yeah. And um, the government and utility company uh, RWE, I don't know what that stands for, um, argue that coal is needed to ensure Germany's uh, energy security, which. Like, wow, we just can't find anyone, any other way to ensure Germany's mm. energy security. It's fucked up. We, we're all looking for the guy who did this. Yeah. Um, yeah. The regional yeah, and well, national. It's like the yeah. energy security versus like, you know, the, you know, like, I mean, the climate security or anything like that. Like, fuck off. Yeah. 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 <laughs> like, well, I, I, I would like the security of the ecosystem. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Uh, right. Um, anyway. Um, the regional and national governments, both of which include environmentalist Green Party, reached it because uh, for those who don't know, Germany has a like a uh, what's it called? Like it, it's a it's a combined like representational democracy. Mixed, so is like, it a mixed member sort of thing? Like that's what we have down yeah, here. It's like, it's like, like yeah, it's like even the territories that it's split up into will like have a mixed number of like members representing where the votes went um like if you look at the, the electoral maps of germany they'll have like some regions that are striped in different colors because like multiple different parties will get into government for that region oh okay um yeah um sorry so uh regional and national governments both of which include the environmentalist green party reached a deal with rwe last year allowing it to destroy the abandoned village oh i didn't know it was abandoned okay <laughs> but but leave it alone um in return for ending coal use by 2030 rather than 2038 uh which like is a really strange way to end coal use by like eight years sooner is by opening a new mine now and um, we all know that's not how it works that's, it's literally yeah. not how it works when they open these mines there's a certain shelf life that these mines like have to live yeah. through in order to make them profitable and so they necessarily are not going to stop this in eight years yeah like, it's not it's not happening Seven years. Also, now, um, like the thing about yeah, the, yeah. Um, the abandoned village is um, kind of weird framing because um, so the village, the residents had been relocated from the village, but also um, right. people, when all this started kicking off, activists and stuff started moving back into the village. So right. um, it was kind of the same as like what happened at Iomata. There was like initially yeah. a very small actual like local population, but then people moved in um, and kind of, you know, like re-inhabited the area. So they think there was about, I think it was like, yeah, like a couple hundred people living there, like activists sort of thing. So um, yeah. yeah, so it's not like it was just like a, you know, a couple empty houses or anything like that. Mm -hmm. 
Um, <laughs> there was a very funny video from the confrontation between police and protesters. I don't know if we have that. Hopefully we can pull that up. I put it, I put um, it in on air text chat. I put two fantastic. actually. One of them is the funny one. The other one is just, I wanted to show, it shows Greta Thunberg with a bunch of uh, activists just trying to peacefully resist, um, you know, the expansion of, of, of this fossil fuel uh, factory. And it's just, I just... I just want to make it very clear just who the good guys are and who the bad guys are. Like, it's very obvious yeah. to everyone watching this show. And so the funny video will also demonstrate that very clearly. It's just hilarious to watch. Um, yeah. But like, it's so clear. This is a this is a peaceful protest. Not that it has Every to time. be in order for it to be. Not that it has to be in order for it to be like, you know, considered like. Valid fighting or for the Valid or fighting yeah. for the good guys. I'm trying to be very careful the way I word this. <laughs> yeah. um, but um. It's just like, I wonder if any of these cops at any point are like, what are we doing? Like, what are we doing? Yeah, and I yeah. think that the video with Greta Thunberg is a very, it, for me, it's like screams like, yo, what cops are, at any point while you're doing this, are you thinking, what am I doing here? Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's crazy. It's, it's like, mm -hmm. yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I've said before that I think that more, like more cops will quit as their job is increasingly just like brutalizing people who are either looking to meet their own basic needs or protesting because they want everyone's basic needs met. And like more and more cops will just mm -hmm. be like, what the fuck am I doing? But like, yeah, and, yeah. I, and also that we already are kind of starting to see that as a trend. That that's yeah, something yeah, yeah. that's happening. It's definitely happened. Um, at, yeah. Like it happened down at um, Iomata. There were a couple that were just like, wait a minute, like, this is kind of fucked up. Like even some people that were like, wow, okay. I actually recognize the people on the other side <laughs> yeah. of the line. Um, and I mean, yeah, Oof. I mean, Oof. it was also a thing in the, um, yeah. in the Russian revolution as well, where, you know, yeah. like some of the cops were just like, actually, well, you know, it ended up being a lot of the cops in the army that were just like, actually, wait a minute. Yeah. Like, why are we, why are we fighting our, um, yeah. you know, like our fellow citizens on behalf mm -hmm. of. There's, I mean, there's that side of it. And there's also the side of it. That's like, if, when you brutalize peaceful protests, people are like, well, I'm going to get the same pushback if I show up here with like armed and ready to defend myself from the cops. So I might as well not get like my legs broken or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And um, not only that, but you see how peaceful protest just literally doesn't result in anything. Like mm. it's, it's, it might result in a heightened awareness in the, for the public to know that there's an issue, but at a certain point, all the awareness in the world doesn't change anything unless directly direct action is taken against those systems um, we do not support breaking the law here on red planet because the law is the arbitrary for it is moral and therefore it, things that we are illegal are not biden. only illegal but also wrong and we love joe biden and we also although we don't endorse breaking the law we do endorse reading how to blow up a pipeline by andreas yeah. and, if, uh, so and if it does happen we will report on it so you know we will right. tell you it's happened and and <laughs> yeah, yeah. and that is all um so did, did we show the video with um getting stuck in mud by the way did we show oh that? yeah yeah I think yeah the, the funny video was great is we okay, okay, sorry. Um, uh, so Thunberg said, it's very weird to see the German government, including the Green Party, make deals and compromise with companies like RWE, with fossil fuel companies when they should rather be held accountable for all the damage and destruction they've caused, which, yeah, is a pretty good summary. Um, and many of the protesters have now left, um, but there are two protesters who nickname themselves Pinky and Brain, like the Pinky, like, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, and they are currently holed up in a, in, like, a tunnel in the mine. So... Um, solidarity and best luck and godspeed to pinky and the brain yeah i guess yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah yeah what are we gonna Perhaps. do tomorrow night pinky overthrow the state i wonder yeah, if pinky yeah. and the brain hopefully they'll, they'll come out of this unscathed if they want to uh talk about their experience on red planet 
Yeah, that would be. Pinky and brain, if you're out there. If you're watching. Okay. Um, So, uh, Tim, you're going to tell me this news? Yeah, cool. All right. So, um, so the next one that we've got here is a bit of a, it's like kind of a complicated situation, but um, (laughs) headline, hanged Odogan effigy protest in Sweden angers Turkey. And so, you know, you might be wondering. It's Erdogan, yeah. Oh, yeah, I I don't speak Turkish. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So anyway, um, so why, why would it care for, why would people care for protests in Sweden, Angus, Turkey? Well, it's because Sweden are trying to get into NATO, but um, to get into that, like basically everyone has to tick the box and say that you're okay with that. Um, Yeah. So Turkey has said, wait, we don't actually we would don't we don't want them to um to join nato until they until they hand over until they extradite all of these people that we classify as uh, criminals and they've given a big yeah. list and some of these people are people that have been in trouble in turkey but have you know like been to jail for it and been released or like yeah. some of them are people that haven't even committed any crimes or anything like yeah. there's like yeah there's literally like just members of the turkish communist party that you know have fled turkey and just yeah all kinds of stuff like a lot of a lot of activists and people like that that shouldn't you know shouldn't be in jail um, yeah, you know, I, and- I we touched on something a few weeks ago that like a uh, a protester in Britain was arrested, like in London was arrested just for holding up like a pro Kurdish flag, and it's the same thing you're talking about there. Like what like they cut like Turkey gets to say to like the UK like you you have to arrest um, people who are pro Kurdish as terrorists because like yeah because of NATO basically. Yeah, but it's like. Yeah, it's it, it is ridiculous. So someone, um, so some activists, they made a big um, hanging upside down um, effigy of is it Erdogan? Erdogan? Yeah, yeah, and um, just you know, and evoking the image of um, Benito Mussolini being hung upside down in the square. And there was even um, yeah, there was a quote from uh, one of them. What was it? Take the chance to step down now, so you don't end up outside upside down in Texas Square um which you know is like do, saying to saying to him like you're you're a fascist leader you know um uh organize yeah, the of- um anarchist uh magazine that uh mule and i are subscribed to makes a policy of always uh printing pictures of um Mussolini's granddaughter upside down <laughs> <laughs> that's brilliant um <laughs> but yeah so um yeah, so it, it's it, it's like a ridiculous demand, um, but it's also like you know it's 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 a huge flex by Turkey, right? But um, yeah. yeah, and I mean, there's so there's people there's people in Sweden that are protesting um, this, you know, saying that this is ridiculous, like you know, Turkey are unreasonable. There's also people in Sweden saying like, why the fuck do we want to join NATO anyway? You know, like you know, what's what's that? what, what yeah. will that do for us which is like extremely you know like it's a good point and that's more the point that i would personally align with you know absolutely um, there's also like but, um having been to sweden there is like a, a an ongoing climate there of like russia is just over there and there is a lot yeah. of fear of like of, yeah, of yeah. retaliation from russia and they're kind of i would say like as well as everything else wrong with joining nato it's like they're really conscious that like being in nato would make them kind of active um 
actively hostile with with a seawater yeah, yeah, I mean, to yeah, Russia. Part of the war. But um, yeah, so yeah. both Sweden and Finland applied to join NATO only after the actual uh, Russia-Ukraine war kicked off. And um, yeah, and so it was only Turkey that was like, no, <laughs> you know. So um, Thanks, yeah, Turkey. yeah, and there's there's other demands and stuff, but you know, this is this is the major one. Seventy three, ter- yeah, and so they are referring to them as terrorists. They're not saying like criminals or people of interest or anything. Calling them terrorists, and yeah, some of these people are literally just journalists. So it's um, it's huge, huge fascism moment, epic fascism moment from Turkey. Um, <laughs> so. Yeah, if they are, if they do reject the demands, it will be kind of interesting to see how Turkey push back from that. Because mm. I mean, it could be a bluff. They could just be like, ah, yeah, okay, whatever. But it could, you know, spark a greater divide, um, mm. you know, within the NATO countries themselves. Um, so yeah, uh, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. But um, yeah, in general, I think um, I. Yeah, I think I, I I sympathize with the people of uh, Sweden and Finland who, you know, like um, who, like the people that have relocated to there, like the asylum seekers and even just like the regular people that have just moved there who are, you know, like worried that this could, you know, like that they could be handed over. I don't think they will be. I think it's very unlikely that they will be. But um, yeah, I would like to maybe hear some more from them um so i don't know it would be cool to um try and touch base with someone from you know because yeah. it seems like a lot of these people are kind of online people i did have a look at some profiles on some of them, some of them but there's some of them that are literally just like teachers and stuff now so it's um yeah anyway um so the next we got a little piece here kira mm-hmm. about indonesia you want to take us yeah yeah, yeah yeah um and i'm i hope i'm not betraying the pronunciation of the uh president president Jocko Widodo? Is that right? Or or I think people call him Jokowi for short. Um, I hope I am not butchering that too horribly. Uh, Basically, the uh, uh, Jokowi president uh, expressed deep regret on Wednesday over the gross human rights violations during Indonesia's big massacre and and imprisonment of like tons of communists in the 60s so let me pull up this yeah so he he expresses regret and that's this Mm. is the big problem here um he's expressing regret for the egregious human rights violations in the country over the past well the past six decades including in the 60s a u.s-backed anti-communist purge that led to the massacre of some half a million indonesians during the height of the cold war and he he promised to prevent similar violations from happening again but he stopped short of explicitly admitting that the government played a direct role in this Mm. and and did not we're all trying to find the guy that did this (laughs) He didn't express any sort of like, you know, commitment to pursue any sort of accountability with the government or anything like that. He's just saying that these uh, events are regrettable, uh, including the extrajudicial executions uh, carried out. He's saying, with a clear mind and an earnest heart, I as an Indonesian's head of state admit that gross human rights violations did happen in many occurrences. I have sympathy and empathy for the victims and their families. So people are uh, very appropriately kind of not 
great excited about this type of uh, announcement just saying like giving the whole like libby type of uh you know thoughts and prayers oh boy isn't that so sad but not at all acknowledging the direct involvement that the indonesian government had uh in these massacres uh it also should be said since i don't want to spend too much time because we do have a lot of stories to go through it should also be said that recently declassified documents by the state department show that despite having intimate knowledge about what was happening at the time. Uh, the U.S. stood by as the massacres unfolded in Indonesia and in some cases yeah. lent direct support to those forces to carry out the slaughter. Uh, mind you, yeah. uh, about a half a million murders, and this is an anti-communist purge, and yeah. millions imprisoned as well. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, it, these, it reached like a like... fever pitch of like anyone who someone was like, that guy's a communist, like would be killed by the yeah, yeah, the like, who like, like hunt, it was a real witch hunt. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. If people want to learn more about the the anti-communist purge in Indonesia, uh, the the documentary, the Art of Killing, and the book, the Jakarta Method, are both fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna um, drop a link in the chat, which is linked from the one of the news articles there, just um in the Atlantic about like the U.S. involvement specifically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I should also be said really uh, briefly that um, the defense minister of uh, of Indonesia right now, Prabowo Subianto, has, has for years faced allegations that he participated in oversaw some of the country's worst human rights violations. And in August, he says he's planning on running for president in 2024. So keep an fantastic. eye out for that. Yeah. yeah. Anyways. Uh, Tim, do you want to tell us about France? All right, cool. So... All of the major French unions have got together and are calling for a strike on January the 19th. So a couple days away. Um, This is sparked by um, the French government um, have said that they are going to um, raise the retirement age before you can get a pension, which um, so they're saying that this is a, you know, like this is good for the economy because, you know, like a couple more couple more years of working for everyone means that they're you know contributing to the economy versus like you know like and also the government coffers before they have to pay out the pensions they get to hold on to their money for a you know a couple more years um and which has been met by like universal condemnation from like all of the major unions um yeah and so yes yeah, this is the first time in a long time in about 12 years that they've all got together this is like yeah. you know like this is like the um what do they call it in Lord of the Rings? Everyone gets together and they're like, you know, they have their big, uh, their big hooey and they're like, all right, cool. Uh, so, um, Voltron. Yeah. yeah, the Voltron. That's in Lord of the Rings. I remember when um, they used that to defeat Sauron. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone check check out the people using their political voice to tell the government we think that's unacceptable. I wonder if there are lessons to be learned here. I wonder if this will come up again in the news later today. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so there's also, um, so they decided to do it quickly because they were like, we got to move on this because this is, you know, this is big. But also um, there's, um, so one of the um, left-wing parties over there, the LFI, La France Insoumise, I don't know, um, they were... Um, they they had already been kind of calling for some kind of industrial action and um there's there was like a there's like a youth march that is like coming up as well that um it's called the march for our pensions that um a bunch of different organizations like you know based around young activists are kind of getting together because that's like the thing right it's like um you know like there's like a lot of these people that uh 
you know, and responsible for this kind of legislation, they're not the ones that are actually ever going to have to deal with it or whatever. So, of course. you know, it, understandably, the young people get pissed off because, you know, it's going to affect them. Like, it's going to affect old people now, you know, whatever. Yeah. But um, in the long run, I think um, it's good for younger people to keep an eye down the line on shit like that as well. But, um, yeah, so eight different big gigantic unions all getting together and um yeah they're gonna they're gonna put together a general strike in a couple of days time so i guess next week we will see how that has progressed yeah there's already I'm been some really big um uh, protests in the street over there around the same kind of thing um so yeah there's there's a lot of momentum there so we'll see uh, next week we'll check back in with that stuff um, yeah it does remind me what you're saying about uh, about young people like uh there was something i saw this week i didn't put it in the news as its own thing but like um like surveys have shown that the millennials and gen z are not showing the trend of getting more conservative when they get older what a mystery i wonder why and it's exactly that like people young people are seeing like there's nothing for me at the end of this line um so pretty related to that let, let me tell you about the uk so um <laughs> There have been some pretty big strikes in the last few weeks. I mean, if you've been paying attention to the news on Red Planet, we've been covering how the RMT, big up the RMT, have been striking again and again and again. There's the CWU, the uh, that's the, the posties, uh, just a bigger, like bit growing and very big and growing unions in the UK um, have been striking and it's been causing massive disruption for the capitalist class. So obviously... They're throwing all their toys out of the pram. And because the state exists to mediate class tensions in the favor of the ruling class, um, the UK government is now just trying to like basically ban strikes. Um, they've introduced a bill which s- says the government can like set a minimum service requirement. Like it hasn't actually set them itself in the bill. It said the government can set minimum service requirements. Yeah, but so it that if, for example, what that is, right? Yeah. Exactly, right? Which is the trick. Um, so, for example, if the uh, if you're talking about the RMT, they could set like a minimum service requirement for the railway that if it's less than this, the, the then the strike is breaking the law. Um, and obviously, like they could set that to just be business as usual, so any strike would be illegal. But like, even if they set it to be any like pretty much anywhere above zero, it's like it defeats the point of a strike if kind of you have like within government like guidelines where the government has agreed that this is like an acceptable level of business. Like it will be the level that's acceptable for the ruling class. Um, so it's, it's dog shit basically. Um, Mick Lynch, who's the head of the RMT, he's been speaking a lot of the enough is enough rallies and is a big part of enough is enough. Um, has, uh, has called for an emergency protest outside Downing street and a, and a rally of enough is enough. And, it seems from kind of interviews that he's been doing, like he's probably going to use that as an opportunity to say like, fuck this law. And we're not, we're just not doing it. Like more, like more or less that the, the, the side will be like, we're just going to keep striking because we are like, we are leveraging worker power. They are trying to push back on that. That's how this works. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but yeah, in an interview, he called the new bill a nasty anti-worker bill, which is designed to repress and make very difficult our right to strike in this country. So this move might drive the UK government to uh, open conflict with the unions, kind of unlike anything we've seen uh, since Thatcher's union busting against the miners in the 80s. Um, we'll see how the population moves in 2023. But as the organization name says, many people have already decided that enough is enough. Um yeah, I mean, it's just going to be, if, if it's illegal to strike, 
and and the unions are like we're gonna strike anyway it is gonna be like when the like the the miners were striking and rioting uh and fighting the cops in the 80s and yeah it's it's an interesting time ahead we'll see what happens um kira speaking of seeing what's happening do you have a a piece of news and seeing things yeah, uh, speaking of seeing, thank you, this is fantastic. Thank you for, uh, speaking of seeing things, uh, Amazon is now stepping up its surveillance of all of us, um, or at least trying to step up its surveillance of all of us um, by making a Ring drone. So if y'all are familiar with the Ring chat, press one if you're familiar with Ring. I think everyone is. But if you didn't know, it's a camera. Uh, I don't have one myself, but it's like a security camera you can put on like the outside of your house. And it's like, uh, it, it's some people call it like a doorbell camera, but it basically can like spy on whoever like walks up to your house. Um, yeah. I think there's other products that Ring makes, but that's the one that I'm most familiar with. And I think the one that most people are familiar with. So mm. Uh, Ring already constitutes the largest surveillance, civilian surveillance network the U.S. has ever seen. And uh, along with other doorbell camera brands, which the police regularly access for video recordings with and without permission of the owner, is one of the largest steps up in surveillance history. In surveillance in history. But now, on top of that, Amazon's now introduced a new product called the Always Home Cam. Who's seen videos of this? Chat, have you seen this? Mm, this is wild. A, this is like it is wild. Cyberpunk it's a little, shit. It is yeah. cyberpunk. It's like literally, in, I sorry, the game Cyberpunk 2020 uh, sucks by many measures, although I still have played <laughs> it like for 500 hours. But regardless, yeah, yeah, yeah. in that game, they have this. They have <laughs> this in that game. Yeah, yeah. Um, exactly. Except that in that game, it shoots you as well. Um, but <laughs> well, I think matter that's probably the upgrade. I, 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 who knows? Yeah. Maybe that's next in the docket. But right now, what Amazon <laughs> has created is the Always Home Cam, which is a flying little mini camera and it's meant to patrol like rich people's houses when they're not home. Um, uh-huh. Obvious implementations of this include patrolling empty properties to make sure that homeless people don't sleep in them. Um, and yes. capitalists are and trying to market this. That, that's gotta be an obvious one, right? Like if someone mm-hmm. is like, I want to keep, I want to keep this building empty, right? Yeah. They're gonna yeah. they're, they're gonna get one of these fucking things. Like all yeah. the ads show like middle-class homes that are beautiful natural light. And oh, what if I left the stove on? But it's like, <laughs> no, 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 no. This is to make sure that people don't like live in a place that's empty and available to them. Yeah, yeah. 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 So so yeah, they're, they're trying to market is just like Sophie said, like, what if I left the stove on? What if I left the window open? Blah, 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 blah. But um, yeah, I, I think the use of it is either gonna be something from, uh, you know, personal use could be something as mundane as that to something as disgusting as, you know, trying to prevent people from seeking housing when they're desperately in need of housing in order to maintain, you know, no, an empty property in the market for for money. But um, yeah, does any anything else about this story before I move on to the next story, which is very related to that story? It just sucks, right? I mean, yeah. one thing I one thing I would add is like, um, if we look at the way that the ring doorbell has been used for surveillance so far, yeah. uh, it's really important to not think that this is like, well, they're surveilling you, the user of the product. So that's the scary thing because a lot of people talk about like Alexa or whatever and how it's listening in on you. And that is creepy and that is creepy and that is bad. And it's an entire thing to get into about like your digital double and how data is used and that kind of surveillance. But this kind of surveillance is not surveilling you, right? It is surveilling like making sure that like 
the property of the bourgeoisie of the petty bourgeoisie the the, the illusory middle class yeah. mm-hmm. um remain with them and making sure that mm-hmm. other people who don't deserve it um mm-hmm. don't don't get to have it right mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. i know of a case in real life with the with the ring doorbells where like because everyone on this pretty middle class neighborhood street has some kind of camera on the front of their house there was something that happened in the street and like i know uh, from from knowing people there that like the police just had the video footage from all the cameras like didn't, yeah, didn't yeah. have to talk to anyone just just had the footage to see what had happened immediately like that's the thing we, you can't trust these um companies with the data or anything like that we have a thing down here where um business owners can get grants for security systems and stuff so if you if you try to get them for like fucking like bollards to put outside of your shops you can't get ram rated you can't get them like they'll deny you you won't put security cameras up they'll do it but it gives the cops access to the information from security cameras or whatever but they'll apply it they'll um approve it for like thousands and thousands of dollars and you know like these are lucrative contracts as well of course yeah stuff but all of these things just add to this like you know increased kind of um you know police presence and stuff and it's just like like you got to kind of think about like you know like even these these private companies like ring and all this kind of stuff like what are they doing with this you know what are they what are they because it's increasing like it's becoming more common that um you know it's like the the data and like the people around it you know whatever are as much of a product to be sold as you Mm -hmm, know mm -hmm. like the product that they're actually selling you know Mm -hmm. so um yeah yeah i just would not trust I think that we these companies with the data. This Especially is probably Amazon, an important. Right? I I I know we have still a little bit of news left to get through, and we want to get a guest on soon. But this is probably an important note for like how we and the Red Planet audience see news and see 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 the political landscape around us. A lot of people think that the 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 creepy and bad thing with surveillance is like, what if Big Brother can see you jacking off? But it's not that, right? It's not just like it's the um, it's it's. If you think it's okay to be surveilled all the time, you think the person surveilling you is moral and will always do the right thing. Mm. If you ever want to get rid of that person, like the moment you decide to, you can't say because you're being surveilled all the time. You can't talk to other people about it. You can't organize. You can't do anything because you're being surveilled all the time. It's not about... you living your life and they see your private moments because ultimately we're already we're already pretty sure that's kind of happening to us like a lot of the time uh so oh no they saw they saw me jacking off but like uh i don't care i see everyone jacking off (laughs) right so so it's like okay i'm just one of a bajillion videos of someone jacking off but no it's like too closely (laughs) but it's like the um well they they i mean whatever i know someone who was in the nsa and what whatever that is not the point the point the point is that like the pet. point is that if you want to get rid of the fucking nsa or government that is that the nsa represents and is a part of right the the thing they're watching for is that and mm-hmm. you will never mm-hmm. be able to leverage power um mm-hmm. outside of the systems that they have created that we all know don't fucking work Mm-hmm, to change mm-hmm. anything about politics mm-hmm. because they're surveilling you. That's the mm-hmm. danger of yeah. surveillance. And it's just really important for us to remember yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I want to move on to the next story, but one more thing Please. I want to say about this very quickly is that it's really interesting that all these products like the Ring doorbell camera or the drone are all based off of a fear of like, someone taking your property, someone, someone home, some home invasion type scenario. Yeah. It's this very like, very greedy, panicked, yeah. 
uh, fear-based capitalist marketing uh, and uh-huh. it's it's for people's property first and foremost i just think it's oh. interesting like what if someone steals my package what if someone i just yeah totally thought about that because ring had that thing right where that it was like they had a feature that would automatically um identify people that they said were like suspicious or home invaders and it basically oh. just started calling the cop then it would call the cops automatically you can look this up this is a thing and it just started calling the cops on just random black people walking past oh, houses what a surprise i'm so, so shocked and i was just saying in the in the chat um uh chloe said you know this is like uh 1984 and i said it's like minority report but it actually is it's like those random black people yeah. just got pre-crimed you know <laughs> yeah, 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 of yeah, yeah. yeah they got All yeah right. anyway we so have amazon news Moving well, yeah. on, really quick. Amazon has failed its appeal to the National Labor Review Board and to refuse uh, uh, re- to, to refuse to recognize unionizing workers. So uh, Amazon's trying to cry to the U.S. government, "Oh, please, we we don't want to recognize this union," and it, now it has to. Uh, so the first Amazon warehouse in history unionized last year following revelations about how awful the working conditions at Amazon warehouses are, as we've all discussed here on Red Planet, and a campaign of anti-union propaganda by the company. Uh, Amazon appealed to the National Labor or sorry, Relations Board, excuse me, because because they're greedy fucks and don't want to have to recognize their workers' right to organize. And on Wednesday, Labor uh uh Labor in uh or the NLRB uh official ruled that Amazon would have to recognize the union anyway. So ha 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 ha. Portugal. Tim, tell us about Portugal. Okay, cool. Sorry, let's jump back over. Um, So, uh, thousands of teachers and school staff march in Lisbon to demand higher wages. So, uh, yeah, Portugal uh, currently has a socialist party government, but um, it's, yeah, so it's not like socialist, socialist, but it's, you know, it's, um, yeah, so it's like a center left Keynesian party and a Keynesian party. And so, um, yeah, I mean, the cost of living crisis is coming up like absolutely everywhere else that we mentioned. <laughs> I feel like every stream we're like, okay, so this country, they've got a cost of living crisis. And it's like <laughs> yeah. every time it's a different country. And we always say, you know, like this is this is a global thing. This is happening everywhere. Yeah, I wonder um, what that's going to lead to. Every country having a cost of living crisis. Mm, yeah, yeah, wow, that's mm. so weird. Or <laughs> well, like every country having like terrible weather or like rising fascism or, you know, mm. some, some, some kind of thing it's might happen on. anyway. Seems like there's a bigger picture. Maybe we'll figure it out. Um, so yeah, so thousands of teachers and school staff as well uh, marched on Saturday, so just a couple of days ago, through the streets of Lisbon, um, yeah, to protest how the cost living the cost of living crisis has affected, you know, specifically their sector. Um, so uh, they want the so aside from you know like kind of talking about how underpaid they are versus you know the cost of living and all that kind of stuff, they wanted um, the the Secretary of State for Education, who I'm going to pronounce the name. Um, we've got notes here. <laughs> it is Costa. I don't know. It's like it's slash Joao, but anyway, Costa. <laughs> anyway, so um, <laughs> Joao Costa. Just sit down. Um, and yeah, so, um, but the teachers in Portugal only really earn about um, 1,100 euros a month. But um, even like, you know, the most well-paid one, it's less than 2,000 euros monthly. Yeah. So um, just, you know, compared to cost of living and stuff over there, it's um, it's it's super, super low. And, you know, like some of these are like people that, you know, like one of the people in the article is like 62 years old and, you know, has been teaching for decades sort of thing. 
Um, and I mean, in general, like teachers all over the world just don't get paid enough. It's like yeah. they even, you know, throughout all the pandemic and stuff, they're like, no, the teacher's got to stay work and the teacher's got to, you know, so we don't have to deal yeah, with our yeah. kids. The teacher's got to babysit them and all this kind of shit. But it's like, they don't want to pay them. Um, yeah, exactly. It's crazy yeah. how much specifically like neoliberal capitalism undervalues specifically reproductive labor. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. it's one thing that like people aren't don't don't receive anything for the reproductive labor they do at home, but like it's another thing to altogether that like all the sectors where people have jobs doing reproductive labor, like nurses and teachers, yeah. right? Are just everyone knows these people are paid like complete shit. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, so anyway. Um, we've got one more piece of news here from Brazil. Yeah. So if you want to take us through that. Sure thing. Um, so if you remember last week, uh, we were streaming right when a bunch of Bolsonaro supporters stormed the uh, administrative capital of Brazil, Brasilia, and they tried to seize a few government buildings. Um, yeah, we, we, we were getting live updates during the show. It was a pretty wild time. But um, basically, a ton of Bolsonaro supporters went into the Brazilian Congress and a couple of other government buildings. They smashed up the place. They started a fire. And then the military showed up and started like uh, clearing them out. Um, the military basically like kind of rounded them up like uh, it was it was it was a combination that they like surrounded them but also like the, the insurrectionists formed a little camp uh where they were going to decide they were going to stay uh many have pointed out as we did on the show that you know this is echoes the january 6th um trump uh invasion of the capitol buildings in washington dc um and you know everything about bolsonaro is just knock off trump who's already just knock off mussolini um so <laughs> good job jaya uh, I wonder if he ever got out of that supermarket. Um, Lula's government has said it was aware of plans for a protest, but the uh, security plan was downscaled without their knowledge by pro Bolsonaro uh, state officials. So there is an ongoing investigation into like the kind of biases that are going on, um, uh, like within the government right now, because there are a lot of like hangovers from uh, Bolsonaro's government. And obviously they like absolutely despise Lula and the, the prospect of socialism. Um, but the, 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 so the particular Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, the, the particular <laughs> uh, news this week is that like uh, uh, people have been pointing out that the military actually like stopped them from going in to arrest the insurrectionists and like everyone's been very clear like we have to in order to like stop that from being a coup just like it, it just stopped that from being like rampant fascism in the streets like there have to be consequences for this um which on on whatever other like we're going to be talking about transformative justice today or whatever yeah. other level to do with like the, the the security of lula not experiencing a coup probably is predicated on them like uh, uh arresting these people and the military actually stopped lula's officials when they showed up and said you're not you're not allowed to arrest anyone here <laughs> um so yeah and they, they they actually like slowed down lula's officials by several hours uh, during which time, like literally hundreds of insurrectionists like fled the location and have gotten away. So that's cool. Well, and this is like yeah. we we talked about this last time, but this is just this was like the latest coup attempt of yeah. like there's been a couple and they've been like, you know, people have been arrested for like trying to like plant bombs and do all this kind of shit. So yeah. it's like it, it's wild that they, you know, like that they I mean it's like a I, I was about to say that they don't take this seriously, but it's like, no, they do take it seriously. They just agree with them. <laughs> exactly. Like, yeah. That yeah. is that. Yeah. 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 They're yeah. not, they're not just like, Oh, you, they're like, Hey, <laughs> my guy. Um, so um, 
that is all the news and we did it we got through a ton of news just in time for the guests that's based um so uh the 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 thing we're discussing today um could be summarized a lot of ways and the 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 show notes currently say oh crap nobody wrote this somebody improvised so i am now uh, going to tell you a little bit about transformative justice um people i will probably have a little more of this discussion when the guests come on as well because it's kind of it's not that well known and so we often end up having this discussion whenever we're talking about it like first talking about people's conceptions of what justice is i think people are familiar with punitive justice and why it doesn't work like why having a deterrent is not actually a sound theory for stopping people doing things Mm. in theory most countries now practice rehabilitative justice in theory um the the prison system is supposed to have like jobs programs and education and make people you know upstanding members of society when they get out of prison um that's bullshit. We know that's not happening. So <laughs> strike two. Um, uh, a lot of people in recent years have been talking about restorative justice, which is a lot more like to do with people facing up with more human consequences of what they've done. Like somebody's yeah. like snatched your handbag or whatever. And like part of the process should be that they, they tell you to your face that they're sorry or whatever, yeah. uh, which um, I also, I don't, I don't, I mean, that's not, is that going to stop that happening again? Um Mm. transformative justice is is about changing the initial conditions that led to harm so that harm won't happen again um and so it's it's a lot of the focus is more is on like hey that person who snatched their handbag why did they do that what can we change so that they don't do it again and we have fantastic guests from a fantastic collective called cradle community joining us today to talk about transformative justice and what they do to teach people about it and how to practice it. So I'd like to welcome Chelsea and Kelsey. Hello, Chelsea and Kelsey. Hello. Hello. (laughs) How's it going? Going pretty good. I had a great nap today. So that's always a win. Sunday nap. For some reason, for some psychological and neurological reason i am incapable of napping so i am very jealous when someone has had a good nap um i was just trying to wing a little introduction to do with transformative justice but maybe you two want to tell us some more about transformative justice and then about what cradle community specifically does uh to get the ball rolling yeah um i can get us started uh thanks so much for having us here um and yeah always excited to try new platforms and new things so this is this is quite fun for us um yeah uh transformative justice i like hopefully we'll get more into the the details and the nuances in this discussion i guess for us um we are prison abolitionists and we um are committed to transformative justice as like a set of practices as a ideology as like a world view and approach to like not as a replacement for what we call the criminal justice system but as a holistic approach to actually how we're going to get to the root of how harm happens in our society and our cultures and what are the ways that we can uh start to prevent, minimize, and like respond to harm in ways that don't 
rely on us causing more harm to people in order to do that. So in the way that punishment systems rely on, okay, well, we're going to make this person suffer with this theory of like, that's going to teach them a lesson, which Mm. has never been shown to work. Um, Actually being like, how do we get to the root of why this happened? What are the conditions under which this harm happened? And what were the choices that were made and how can we support people to make better choices and to change the conditions that we're living in that create harm and violence, right? And we look at violence, not just as that interpersonal, um, those interpersonal reactions, but as like a systemic uh, um, thing that happens to to us as well, that we're living under. So these violent structures created by the state, um, the violence of homelessness, the violence of uh, borders, the violence of incarceration itself, of policing, of surveillance, um, these kinds of mechanisms um, enacted by the state. Um, yeah, we're, we're looking at trying to disrupt those kinds of violences as well as, um, yeah, as well as responding to the interpersonal things that happen, domestic and sexual violence and interpersonal violence as well. Um, Chelsea, do you want to take it from there? Yeah, absolutely. I think I would add, um, so two little nuggets as a criminologist. So the first thing is anyone who studies criminal justice will tell you that the system we have doesn't work. The idea that punishing people is going to deter other people from breaking the law doesn't work. So deterrence doesn't work. The idea that we're going to separate these people from the rest of society. Therefore, we're going to protect society from crime because we're going to remove the criminals and then we'll eliminate crime doesn't work because criminality isn't like a character trait or personality trait or a gene, right? It's, Mm -hmm. It's a set of behaviors and choices that are then criminalized depending on who you are, where you are, and when you are, right? Yeah. Um, so so deterrence doesn't work, separating these people out. And then the main piece that I think everyone would agree with is rehabilitation. Well, no, no, no. The whole reason that you have to hold people accountable and, you know, have things like laws and prisons and police, et cetera, is because, you know, you need to give people an opportunity to reflect on what they've done and, you know, rehabilitate the change so they won't repeat that behavior. But everyone would tell you that that's why criminal justice reform, right? That's what they're focused on. They're trying to focus on rehabilitation. Well, transformative justice is rehabilitation. It's the only form of rehabilitation that actually works for human Mm -hmm. beings, Mm -hmm. you know? It's the actually getting to the why, it's asking the questions and digging down, but also, Uh, like Kelsey was saying, like really it's about getting into the prevention mode and thinking about why is violence something that we're just all taking for granted? Um, Because that's what happens when we have a very reactive response to, you know, things that go wrong. It means that we're just taking it for granted that these things are going to happen and that we can't create more of a community that's safer. So Mm -hmm. that's what transformative justice is really about. It's about not only individual accountability as far as reflecting and, you know, realizing that you've harmed other people and wanting to repair that, but it's also the community and the collective responsibility to be a part of that process, but also to do the work of preventing, um, you know, harm from occurring in the first place and responding to it in the moment when it does. 
Um, and with that, that would be a great way to talk a bit about Cradle because that's really what drives us is uh, creating a world without violence. And that to us is what it means, you know, to be abolitionists. So we're a collective of, you know, organizers, you know, social workers, researchers, academics, uh, who, you know, have came together to create spaces and help share knowledge around abolition, transformative justice and violence prevention, you know, conflict resolution. And so we worked a lot, especially with grassroots and organizing groups that are dealing with a lot of these tensions within the organization. And, you know, they don't want to have necessarily a punitive response. They don't want to, you know, respond in the way that maybe traditional organizations would. And so that's given a lot of opportunities, you know, for us to explore um, what conflict resolution really can look like and how you can really address uh, uh, things. And it's not always pretty, which is the other thing. It's not always kumbaya and everyone holding hands. You know, that's not what resolution looks like all the time. But that's, you know, that's what we do in creating those spaces. And it's really cool. <laughs> yeah, awesome. That sounds good. Um, so uh, maybe... Should we start off, how long have both of you uh, guys been active with Cradle Community? Um, so I'm one of the sort of original members. Cradle's like had a couple iterations, I guess, as we've like, it's been an ongoing experiment really. Oh yeah. Um, and so uh, one of the kind of early things that we were experimenting with was when there was the Abolitionist Futures um, Conference in 2017. Um, we held like the sort of um, social space one of the evenings, creating like a combination of like art and uh, just like, yeah, bonding space and talking about transformative justice and creating kind of, yeah, starting to experiment with creating those kinds of spaces. Um, and we were also working with uh, particularly like marginalized people, particularly women and non-binary people of color who do uh, like organizing work in like a public way. So who do like, uh, like working with the Neon Spokesperson Network, if anyone's familiar with that, um, like people who, yeah, kind of put themselves out there talking about really radical ideas, creating like a support space for that because there's, there's wasn't really that much of that going on. Um, so that was kind of like some of the early kind of iterations of working around like how we support people. And then sort of, sort of like 2018, 2019, um, just before the pandemic, really, we um, started to really get into, because lots of us have come to this work through other abolitionist organizing and feminist organizing and mm -hmm. supporting survivors in other ways in our lives as well. We started doing that under this sort of cradle umbrella and starting facilitating accountability processes and doing that more sort of like private work and supporting our communities and starting to skill share these tools around bystander intervention, de-escalation skills, supporting people through mental health crises and these kinds of things. And it's around then I think that, that Chelsea got involved, right? Um, before we started writing the book as well. Yeah, amazing. That's cool. Yeah, so I, uh joined Cradle and got involved with Cradle in 2019. Um, <clears throat> so I actually moved to the UK in the fall of 2018. And one of the first, like, uh, one of the only events on uh, Oxford's campus that 
had anything to do with abolition in the title, I went to it and I met <laughs> Kelsey there and uh, they were on the panel and uh, we actually connected, connected without speaking like during the panel because someone on the panel kept um, uh, like speaking over them and like waving their hand <laughs> in their face. And she and I just made eye contact. We were kind of just like this guy, you know? Um, and so afterwards I went up to her and, you know, I started talking she was like, you're American. I'm like, yeah, you know? And so we started chatting and uh, she invited me to these really cool events Cradle was doing at the time, um, which you were excited to bring back uh, since we were coming out of the pandemic, uh, Freedom Fighters Feasts which are really amazing. Uh, usually the food is, is vegan, but delicious. Um, and vegan, but delicious. Well, you know, because <laughs> I, I, I'm just being real. I <laughs> no, love no, all cool. types of food. So for me, it's always a pleasant surprise <laughs> to eat no. delicious vegan food. Not that <laughs> it doesn't exist, but just that it's a pleasant surprise. So yeah, yeah no, um, <laughs> but it meant that the food was, you know, everyone could eat the food. It was delicious, yeah, you know, yeah. great conversations, mm -hmm. being able to meet people from all over uh, London who were working in really different types of organizing, um, you know, people in healthcare and housing, you know, and yeah. social care, you know, just people who are doing all types of cool stuff. And, um, uh, you know, the members of Cradle sussed me out for a couple of months, you know, and, uh, you know, at one point we're like, hey, you want to join the collective? And I was pumped because um, for me coming from the U.S., I was also involved in organizing where I'm from in Atlanta and, and involved in Black Lives Matter and, um, you know, responding to police brutality in Atlanta, Georgia, and uh, had done some organizing in D.C. as well. And had connections, you know, across. So when I moved here, it was really important to me to kind of get locked into a community and really start giving back. And that's what I feel like Cradle has been able to do. I mean, we do everything from like mutual aid on our social media to, you know, just creating, um, you know, solidarity, just creating resources, working with uni university students, you know, to respond to things happening on campus. So it's really cool, the work we do. And I'm, I'm so grateful to be a part of the collective. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I'm, I've noticed that um, you both mentioned, so, you know, like putting on these events with like food and then Kelsey earlier, you mentioned like, um, there's something to do with like art and things like that. Do you find that that is like, you know, is that like a core part of like what you're trying to do? Like, you know, kind of like, uh, I guess, nurture the community through like, um, yeah, through these like kind of like more social kind of events. Is that kind of, yeah. is that a big thing for, for you guys? Absolutely. I, uh, yeah, I think like sharing food, being like comfortable, having like really like warm vibes is like really cool to what we do because we're like, talking about really like heavy stuff sometimes and we really want to like create space for that to happen in a way that's like yeah doesn't feel harmful to people um and we want to like also create spaces so that when we're not talking about heavy stuff we can just like you know have our needs met and like be you know like when we're meeting in the evenings it's so easy to let those things slide like oh okay so you're going to come straight from work you're going to go to a meeting from seven till nine and then when are you going to have dinner right and like all of it's much some like oreos that were like shared between 12 people <laughs> and actually like um 
because that's a go-to vegan snack but um <laughs> I think um it's uh yeah whereas with the freedom fighters feasts like I guess like to be honest it's a bit of a rip-off from something that uh I attended when I went uh and spent a bit of time in the bay area um in California where the Bay Area Transformative Justice Collective, before the pandemic, they were doing these monthly potluck dinners where um, they would meet in this massive hall and there would be like, everyone would bring food and you would have dinner, but you'd be like at these tables and there would be all the like transformative justice principles and practices and values stuck up on the wall on like flip chart around you for you to just sort of like, absorb by osmosis or whatever and then like uh Mia Mingus who uh leads the collective um and is an incredible transformative justice practitioner um uh she would um you know just give like TJ based prompts um and uh then you would like discuss those over dinner and it would just be like not necessarily like these like high level kind of theoretical things but like actual genuine things to discuss with people about experiences so like how uh have you built trust in your life like these mm-hmm. kinds of questions about what does it look like to repair trust in your mm-hmm. life like how do we mm-hmm. share these experiences of like these relational um dynamics that we've all experienced and how do we sort mm-hmm. of just like create space to explore mm-hmm. those and discuss those and so yeah so basically kind of brought that idea back to London and started the Freedom Fighters Feast and really focused it around like creating a space also only for black people and people of color um uh, and uh yeah kind of creating that space for us to really just uh bond and like feel good and also like learn from each other you know and that's been yeah creating those kinds of really comfortable uh vibes and spaces it's like uh, like yeah I'm obsessed yeah, with yeah, like, yeah. half the time when we advise people also and they'll be like oh like how do we have this conversation or how do we start conversations about transformative justice in our community or whatever I'm just like have a dinner that's like basically my go-to advice for like all things I'm just like have a dinner <laughs> discuss it over food like you bring food people will come because they're for sure people mm. will keep coming to your events if they know the food is good if there's like you know it's the same with community <laughs> engagement stuff if you have a stool yeah. that's got the good donuts people will keep coming back every week right <laughs> you gotta know, yeah, like these little things that like make people feel like oh there's something a bit like special and 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 just lovely about this Mm-hmm. yeah yeah yeah. no it's awesome yeah I, I also love the thing about you um uh ripping off this idea where it's like that's you know like that's what we want want right you know like this kind of like cross-pollination of ideas like learning from other orgs and being like wow this is a really powerful thing that they're doing we should do that as well because it's kind of like you know like there's no reason that another org should get upset about you for like you know like cribbing their tactics or anything like that if it's like if you both have common you know like if you're both uh if you're both on the same team it's like man everyone in the world should be doing this our missions are are aligned we want this work to be iterative in no way do i ever want cradle to be the person that owns these kinds of practices these kinds of things either right like so yeah take them on do do your own dinners I think I think Mia Mingus would definitely agree yeah we uh we're saying the same thing about Red Planet quite frequently that like if people think that they that 
anything could be done better about like interviewing orgs and uh, activists and they should do it because we want as many people as possible to do the same thing yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. i'm quite yeah, uh, curious what you're saying about um mia mingus being a transformative justice practitioner because i'm i believe what you do with cradle is a lot of education and showing people how they can practice transformative justice but is um mia working as a practitioner a, a different thing and if so like what what is it that mia does um yeah that's a really great question i think like so we are also like uh i guess we fall under the umbrella of like practitioners as well but we really like insist on only kind of doing that work within our own community right and so not becoming like a service model where sometimes by labeling yourself as a practitioner it's like okay so now you're the people that people called in order to facilitate the process for them but really we're really about like we're experimenting with this and trying to do it in our own community we're talking to other people who are doing that too here's the skills that we're learning from doing that work and the skills that we're pulling from like other sectors and things like as well there's like a lot of great work that has been done with survivors within other problematic sectors right the dv sector and the sexual violence sector um and and skill sharing those within other communities in order for them to like take these on and for it to be iterative i think what mia mingus does as well is is probably quite similar but what she's also done is like i guess created these really amazing tools that have become quite widespread. So I think she, like her and the uh, Bay Area Transformative Justice Collective, like they originated the pods, uh, the pod mapping tool that a lot of different groups use um, and uh, have done some really great sort of experimental work as well, like uh, this apology lab where I think over like several weeks, people came back to like work through like, their own like thoughts about apologies and what kinds of apologies work and models for how and like that internal work of like who is it that I need to apologize to and I haven't um and like what's holding me back from doing that and what could that look like and doing you know kind of doing that over multiple weeks and yeah I know they've done they've done a lot of that kind of work which I think being able to see that from afar and see the like work that comes out of it the resources that comes out of it is like incredibly helpful for for us as well, who are like a bit younger and doing this, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I really like about transformative justice is how it clearly, really clearly demolishes that false dichotomy that is often imposed in a lot of our like political praxis. Um, for instance, like or we'll take anything political, you see a lot of people espousing certain values with their mouths, right? They'll say that they have these values, but then when it comes into like day-to-day practice, they'll, they won't Im- implement them. It'll be more one of those, like, you know, like, oh no, 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 no. I'm waiting for the revolution or I'm waiting for oh, something yeah. to happen, you know? You're Where like how people, like, everyone's like, like, like a cab, fuck cops and stuff like yeah. that. But then they're like a super punitive when it comes down yeah, to like, exactly. you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. like Absolutely. instances of harm in our community. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. one of the things I like about transformative justice it, to me is that it like it very clearly just like demolishes that dichotomy or, or makes a mockery of it. It's like, it seems it, it, it very obviously can be implemented in our day to day. So not just on like, you know, not just when we're trying to replace prisons, but like in just in the way that we interact with each other. So I was just wondering uh, if y'all had any sort of like really significant ways that transformative justice has 
influence your personal dealings with people, like when building just community, on uh, you know, just, just, just interact with people, keeping, um, keeping your organization, um, you know, together, if there's any specific kind of like significant personal things y'all have taken from this. Maybe I'll lead with an example, right? Um, and I'll lead with an organizer that someone that I organized with in Atlanta. And uh, while we were working, we were actually out at a rally. So we did we did a, a sleep out. So essentially we spent overnight in front of a courthouse in order to mm -hmm. influence an attorney to prosecute a police officer and murder someone. And when we got back to his apartment, his apartment got robbed. Someone had stole his television and like his stereo system. And I remember going into the apartment with him and he saw that, you know, the saw that the stuff was taken and he just sat down on the couch and he took a deep breath and he was like, okay, all right. And I could tell that he was angry. He was upset. And I was like, yo, what do you want to do? Because obviously, you know, we're not going to call the police. We don't, yeah. you know, we're, we yeah, were just yeah. protesting the police killing someone. <laughs> yeah, right. You right, know, right. And then we come on to the situation of like the same thing that I think right-wingers ask us all the time. Well, who are you going to call when you get robbed? <laughs> yeah. like, this was <laughs> that, that exact situation. Uh -huh. I'm sitting uh -huh. here next to my friend and I can tell that he's upset, you know? And after a few minutes, he was just like, They needed it more than I did because I can get another one. And I'm like, bro, Damn. do you like want to get in your car, like ride around? Like it's a big screen. <laughs> you could probably find the part. Like they got to be carrying it somewhere. <laughs> like, nah. I'm like, so for me, I, I will be honest. I think a lot of people think all abolitionists are like kumbaya. We're all like, you know, uh, the Dalai Lama. We've all just risen above the human instincts of anger and like no bro like I still believe in street justice to some extent okay but my friend he really modeled for me what that response looked like because he chose to live in a community that's impoverished yes he lives in a nicer apartment than most of the people around he has higher tech you know like than most of the people around so a part of it was him acknowledging in that moment that like, hey, there is someone who's doing the calculations of I can break mm -hmm. into this place when no one's there and take this equipment. And like our viewpoint is that property is not more important than people. So it's like when you have to apply that in your real life, that's when you realize what these things actually mean. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? You realize mm -hmm. that a television is not that important. So imagine somebody risking their life, risking going to prison and all that behind a television, how much they're going to get for that at like a pawn shop or trade that in. Less than $300, less than $500. So imagine what type of situation you have to be in to do something that wild to get like $500. Do you see mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. When you can pause right there instead of just being like, oh, you know, it's this horrible thief who came and stole from us, right? So immediately labeling them, recognizing, yo, this is a person. So fast forward a few years later, when I first moved to the UK, um, while I was actually home, someone broke into a house that I was living in. I lived on the top floor though. <gasps> The house I was living in oh, and stole uh, one of my roommates' in, in engagement ring. Oh, wow. Um, 
And the whole situation was so interesting because I tried to convince her not to call the police. And I'm like, yo, you're going to call the police and they're not going to do anything. No, they're not going to get your ring back. You know, so all it's going to do is like cause hoopla. But she really disagreed with me. She wanted to call the police. So she called them. They came. They then spent 30 minutes interrogating my boyfriend, who's also Black, who was not there, obviously, at the time of the robbery. Yeah. Because it happened multiple hours before. But the police came in and just saw a black dude and was like, hey, yeah, yeah, so there's something missing. Uh, we don't need to. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. down, this is you such a common saying? story. So that happened in real life. Like it happened when I told her. And, you know, fast forward, we asked the cops, did you go across the street and get the, you know, get the surveillance footage from the cafe? No. Did you go next door to, there's a restaurant next door that also they don't care. Their footage. No. Um, did you did you do anything really no they just wrote a report and interrogated my boyfriend so yeah the, the truth is that a lot of times when things do happen and go wrong you realize that relying on the systems that be doesn't often actually solve the problem anyway so for me in real life it's been able to kind of put the pieces together for someone who's so upset. So my roommate mm-hmm. at that point, she was mm-hmm. so upset. Why did they check the cameras? Why aren't they trying to get my ring yeah. back? And I'm like, oh, girl, man. that's not what the police are here for. Yeah, yeah. That's did not she learn? They're here to protect your personal property. But when we say they protect property, that's writ yeah. large. They're not, you know, yeah. it's not your personal property that yeah. they're going to go out of their way to recover. So it's like so, also yeah. giving, bringing people out of the fantasy world of what they think police do and and what that does um and those two real situations of it impacting my life and having to deal with it and manage that because that happens to real people every day most mm-hmm. people get robbed never get the stuff back that was recovered whether they call yeah. the police the police get involved or not mm-hmm. so how do Your we story... as a community then rally around someone who got robbed so everyone in our house put together a bit of money you know for her to get yeah. a replacement ring so yeah. it's like we as a community responded. The cops didn't help her get restitution or whatever. We as her roommates helped mm-hmm. her. And that's what community looks like in real life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That your wow. story really reminded me of like I uh like f- fairly often in London there are people who are like they 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 just need a very small amount of money, but they're trying they they're kind of running like a a little gambit to try and get it or whatever. Um, and whenever this happens, I'm just like like I want them to have the money. Like it was I it was the, it was a time when this woman came up to me and she had a, a a really long kind of kind of immediately transparent story about being like in oh, town yeah. from out of town and she needed the blah 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 to and it was like at the end of the day she was ultimately trying to get like thirty pounds off me. And I was just like, obvious, like, obviously you can just have this, like, I didn't say this to her. I I like kind of of would have been a very strange situation to do that. But like, you know, it was immediately what I was thinking was just like, if you're doing all, like all of this rigmarole to get like such a small amount, you know, um, was what it reminded me of. But I I just wanted to say also, like, I think that um, one thing transformative justice does for like both sides of someone getting harmed is like, the ideal situation is like, everyone is trying to help to make the situation better right like if the if there was someone like you were saying about like rallying around your around your roommate and helping her like in an ideal world there would also be people who are rallying around like trying to help the like like yeah like you were saying about like for such Mm -hmm. a small amount like trying to help them and change that and i think that's something that really shift people's perspective when they engage with transformative justice is because like if it's a if it if accountability for doing something wrong 
means punishment, people will just want to avoid that. Like they will just so they're like the 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 side of the person who's done harm, as it were, is all about denying harm has happened. If there's only only punishment for it, right? But if the if the side can be like helping that person to not do that harm again, changing things to make it better, then it's a way more productive and like also just like honest side, right? Um, Kelsey, did you did you want to talk about like uh, kind of real life stuff or? Yeah, and thank you, Chelsea, for those examples um, as well. I think they really like encapsulate like so much. And I guess I want to just add like the 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 thing that brought me to transformative justice is like was experience of sexual violence and I'm not gonna like obviously go into detail of that but it was upon like then like living through like the impacts of that and then also like learning more about like gender-based violence and like patriarchal systems and understanding like oh wait like lots of the people who have gone through these things also look like me or have these certain things in common with me and there's like you know understanding these things not as like a personal failing um but as a like system um that creates this kind of harm on like such a regular basis and realizing like you know like I wasn't going to go to the police in that situation because of so many things that really didn't even have I didn't have compassion for the person who harmed me it wasn't about that at all it was much more about the shame around it it was about this all like the process of that and the fear of how the police were going to talk to me what if it Mm -hmm. did go to court and the whole trauma like re-traumatizing effect of of Uh having to keep talking about it to these strangers Mm -hmm. um, in this kind of public way to be picked apart the fear of all of those things the fear of having to talk to my parents about it right the fact that I didn't already have like a support network which is what like that yeah that could identify that kind of harm that could talk about it that meant that I was vulnerable to it right and understanding like all of these things going on at once and like realizing like so many of us like aren't even using that system that's supposedly there for keeping us safe that system was nowhere near me when that was happening that system was not involved right and like there was no way the police were going to come and intervene in that and that's that's not how it works with police and sexual violence the vast majority of the time if people do which most people don't if people do go and report it like an average time of like a year after the incident anyway right like it's not in any way an intervention and so in thinking about how we actually disrupt these patterns of sexual violence of understanding the like violent systems that I like grew up under as well and like why I was incapable of advocating for myself incapable of being able to identify what was going on in my own body and where those boundaries were and how to articulate them all of those systems, that's what brought me to transformative justice because mm-hmm. it was like, this was not just about an individual thing that happened mm-hmm. between two people. This is something like so much bigger than that. And in order to actually be like, you know what, I don't want this to be an inevitability. Putting that one person behind bars also wouldn't ever mean that that wouldn't happen to me again, right? That's the rea- That's the reality of this kind of violence, right? Because it's so pervasive. And so actually, if I want to 
support young people to not grow up with this as an inevitability if I want to like change this generational understanding that actually like we just keep certain people like scared because of this inevitable idea of of violence that might happen to them we we tell young people like not to go out at night or not to go certain places or not to do certain things because that makes them vulnerable to violence actually I want to disrupt the the cause of that violence right I want to make it so that our world is is safer for all of us and that if this does happen because yeah I appreciate people are always going to do fucked up things I don't know if we ever will get to a place where like all violence is is ended Mm -hmm. right but Mm -hmm. we can stop creating so many circumstances where people like are not able to speak about it where people have no support for it and that there's no like response that will Mm -hmm. actually mean that that person won't go through that again Mm -hmm. like yeah it's it's really through like that experience um, and speaking to so many other survivors, it's been like, okay, so it's so much more than just about punishing this one person, but it's like, okay, so if if your feeling of safety has been compromised when you leave the house, what can we do to make you feel safe so you can get to work on time and not be late all the time? Because now it's having knock-on impacts for, for you in other ways. What are the ways that we can make sure that you still experience joy and that you still have access to healing, that you have access to community, um, mm. all of these things? Like, how do we actually like create all of these other avenues for support that the criminal justice system is not uh, concerned with at all, right? Mm-mm, mm-mm. So that stuff like is really every day for me. I think like sometimes we talk about that as like this kind of like, yeah far away stuff but like that stuff is every day and it's it's something that we can start to intervene on and I I think about it every time I go to the bar or to to the pub or if I'm out or whatever right it's like how can we start to intervene in these small ways to like disrupt these dynamics to stop things like sexual harassment on public transport from racist harassment and abuse that's happening in public space how can Mm. we like yeah you know disrupting these kinds of everyday violences Mm -hmm. in those ways as part of understanding that's part of that entire cultural shift that we need yeah 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 absolutely thank you so much for sharing that with us thank you so much yeah thanks a lot um yeah what uh what you were saying there about um you know like these yeah like i i think it's definitely something that i have thought a lot more about since you know like learning more about um you know like uh like abolition uh, stuff and like transformative justice like just these like little interactions just in our day-to-day life where it's like it doesn't need to always be like the big thing where you're having like you know like a giant like you know like an intervention around someone who has done serious harm where it's like if everyone if everyone is um educated on these kind of things like all these little interventions could be like you know, like this could be the one moment that stops something from happening down the line, you know, like, um, yeah, it's definitely something that I always try and be conscious of. And it's definitely something that I experience, like in, you know, like typically more masculine spaces, you know, I've talked about this on stream before, you know, in places like barbershops and like tattoo shops and stuff like that, where it's like, you do, you know, you do see dudes saying things or, you know, like doing things or whatever like that. And um, like, I've tried to become the guy that is like, hey, like, you know, like, let's, let's talk about what, what you're saying or what you just did here a little bit, you know? And I think um, mm-hmm. like, I mean, this is another thing we've talked about before. And I think like being, you know, like a dude with like a beard and tattoos lends me like, a, you know, it's like, it's shitty, but it's like, dudes will mm-hmm. listen to me about that, you know? like. Yeah. Yeah, we've talked about it before. Like, I think last stream we're talking about it because mm-hmm. I don't have like, 
blue yeah. hair or something like that they're like <laughs> oh shit like this is a dude is telling me oh okay I'm gonna listen which sucks which fucking sucks mm-hmm. but you know like I feel like um you know like if you're if you're listening and you are like a dude that kind of conforms to you know kind of like I guess like generic masculine stereotype stereotypes there is like a kind of responsibility when you, when you start learning about this shit like that there's like you know like you kind of have to step up a little bit to you know to really yeah. uh, be oh the guy that speaks out and can yeah. I say yes absolutely it's your superpower right um I tell I have a lot of um you know they say rest in bitch face I know a lot of guys <laughs> rest in douche face yeah, yeah. like mm-hmm. they just sit there and they look like like you're an asshole they just look like that you know yeah that is a superpower because you can be in conversations that they would never Uh have around me look at me say those things while i'm sitting there right but you're there right and so one that's a superpower because you're you're basically have a cloak of visibility on because you're in the room and you're able to to disrupt that but the Mm -hmm. other thing uh Tim, that you were saying that uh what you said is terrible that these people would feel more comfortable with me saying it to someone else that's not terrible. And I'll tell you why. When you're in community with someone, it's a lot easier to hear something from them than from a stranger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, things that my boss said to me at work, my partner telling me the same thing at home, I received it real different. <laughs> because <laughs> I'm in love with you. You know, I care about you build something. Like I trust you. You know what I'm saying? You, you know me. So I feel like you're you're probably more accurate. This lady yeah, yeah. doesn't know me that much. I see her a few hours a day. You know, I don't know about her. Yeah. But you, now I trust what you're saying, right? Um, but it has that knock-on effect. So I think the truth is we have to recognize community is such an important part of transformative justice as well. And I think one of the main ways that we mess up is we try and hold people accountable that we're not in community with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Right. Yeah. So I'm reaching all the way over here to try to hold you accountable. And I'm not in community with you. Yeah. yeah. Why? Why am I doing yeah. that? That's not, it's not going to bode well. Why? Because I'm going to be pissed off and you're probably mm. going to be pissed off, which is going to escalate the situation. So I think about this on social media in a really basic way. This mm-hmm. is why typically I don't comment on like what celebrities do. <laughs> oh, Will Smith slap Chris Rock. We're all the anti-violence people. Where y'all at? Like, <laughs> I'm not in community with Will Smith. Yeah, if yeah. he was my homeboy, I would have called him, right? Yeah. We would have had a chat, but we're not friends. So, oh, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The reality of holding people accountable is a lot of times you have to be in community with that person. And a lot of times when we see a lack of, commun- a lack of accountability is because the people around that person are turning a blind eye. The people yeah, around yeah. that person are in denial. The people, oh no, they can never do that. No, you know your friend. You know your friend that's always grabbing up girls when y'all go out every week. You know your friend. Don't act like you're surprised mm-hmm. when he goes a little too far. You know your friend. So be, you know what I'm saying? You're in the, you're accountable too. You hang out with that person. You're in community with them. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's on you as well to call it out, to say something to them. And everyone's responsible for themselves. So no, it's not saying you you're, responsible for them but yes you 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 are responsible if you're hanging out with somebody you guys go out every weekend and yeah, you know there's you like a, accountability replicate every club you go to yeah you're responsible for that because you're rolling yeah with it. yeah, yeah. i think, I think so, something oh 
who wants to talk? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was going to say, it, this feels really opposite of what I've observed and also what I do, which is this. I, I really appreciate you saying this because it's so much easier to criticize someone that you're not in community with. It's much more difficult, at least in my opinion, to criticize your friends. And I see that mm. kind of like that division a lot, like in social media, but also just personally, like people, people, one of your, one of your friends does something shitty. Uh, what do you do? Do you call them out on it? Well, most people I think don't because they want to maintain that comfortable friendship. And so they will justify what they said, or they will, you know, they'll find a way to erase what they said or, or whatever. And in the meantime, they're, they're much more willing to call out someone that they know have, they have no stake with, they have no relationship with because mm, there's nothing yeah. to lose then. Um, yeah. I really appreciate you saying this because I think all, a lot of us need, including myself, need to hear this big time. I think, I think that, go on. I think a lot of the time, sorry, I just think a lot of the time, yeah, people, um, yeah, maybe are more comfortable uh, when they have that distance to like throw out like a whole load of, uh, yeah, feedback, um, uh, you know, a 20, 20 tweet thread or whatever. And then they'll go yeah. and have the Christmas dinner with their racist auntie or whatever, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. And it's like, are you having those conversations actually in your like social familial circles? Um, and are you doing that deep work with people? Because actually mm-hmm. like that stuff also takes a long time. It won't take just shouting at your friend one time actually to like, you know, you'll intervene. You might cut them off. You might stop them. Uh, we want to intervene on like immediate harm that they might be causing if you're if you're out and stuff right but it's going to be multiple mm-hmm. conversations mm-hmm. and it's going to be because like yeah we've touched on these ideas I think of like community accountability and self-accountability and mm-hmm. the ways that like we are accountable as a community because if we're not uh like calling each other out in some way or we're not like trying to actually like hold each other to the principles and values that we've agreed um, within a group and we're not setting that standard for each other, then yeah, we're like okaying worse and worse behavior. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Just acting uh, like a mob essentially. But real change like has to also come from someone holding themselves to account. Right. And so we need to like enable the conditions for that. You want to have people who are setting like good standards and are like, yeah, you know, like there's social consequences if you don't do mm-hmm. this. Um, but like in the end, like you have to do it, right? You can't actually, then the system won't be, oh, every time I go out, I know that if I'm about to harass someone, my friend will karate chop me out of the way. Like that's also <laughs> not the system that we're like gonna long-term be like, well, it's fine because I know that they'll stay sober while I get wasted and do these things, right? Like that's not what we're trying to create um, but because then we're just policing each other, right? But yeah. we have to really do that internal work and support each other to be like, yeah, like what is behind this behavior? Why are you struggling with boundaries in this way? And what are the things that we can like keep doing to like actually make you understand the like impacts of how you're making people feel and make you care about that? But like in the end, people are gonna have to, that's gonna have to come from themselves. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause like to return to Tim's example, like the um the uh you know guys guys saying say misogynistic things because they're only around like some other guys like isn't just a behavior that is making it a hostile space to women it's making it a hostile space like hypothetically to any man who would 
like stand up against that. And it's like, well, something I like about transformative justice, like especially compared to punitive justice is that punitive justice keeps on going back to an idea of some kind of like criminal essence, like something that, something in people that makes people do bad things, some kind of like human nature bullshit. And like, I think that transformative justice, like takes like it's not in here it's out here like people yeah, do do approach. stuff because there's this the yeah. situations around them we have to change like the situation around them and well, like also i if i could jump in there so uh-huh. i think it's so important to say that every human person has the capability to cause harm yes everyone yeah yeah yeah, yeah. absolutely nobody's yeah. exempt so that means you can be the victim you could be the perpetrator guess what it could be you. It could be me. So mm-hmm. the, when you really sink that in, that's why the whole idea of victim perpetrator falls apart, right? Because most mm-hmm. perpetrators have also been victims and most mm-hmm. victims will go on to perpetrate, right? So the reality is when we get down to the crux of all of us can harm each other and all of us can be harmed, whoa, that means we're all really vulnerable and we all have to be on guard to make sure we're not harming each other. That's mm-hmm. when that accountability has to click in, right? Because now I'm on guard to make sure other people not being harmed around me and that I'm not the one doing the harming. So again, it, it, it causes us to, is no longer labeled people you can label over there. Oh, those people are racist. Those people are racist. Those guys are rapists. Nah, it might be your homeboy. It might be your auntie. It might be your mom. Mm-hmm. It might be you. You know what I'm saying? You can't just label people as something now. Now you have to really unpack. Yeah, what What does that mean? That's harmful. And how is that being perpetrated? Now, once we're talking about behaviors, now the ground shifts. And and the reason I love it is because there's no double standards. I can't have one standard for a cop and another standard for me. Oh, no, it's fine for me to go upside your head, but I don't think a police officer should go upside your head. Yeah. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Yeah, I want to respect your human rights. I should respect them too, right? So yeah. it's that also thing we, we I respect bodily autonomy. I respect all your crevices, you know, that no one should enter them without your <laughs> consent. So when the state does that, when you're arrested or you're going to intake, I feel like that's a violation of human beings that should not happen on this planet, right? So then how are people in the club putting their finger? You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So these are the types of things where we have to be consistent in yeah. terms of how we respect each other. And that's yeah. what transformative justice calls us to do. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I think that like, I guess a, a way that I've been framing it to some people recently is I don't believe in a f- like fundamental human nature, like a deep down yeah. thing. I believe in like firmamental human tendency. Like people have a ceiling over their heads all the time. And when it's like pushed down really low, like they have like less space to move and there's only so many things they can kind of do. Yeah. Um, and like that language about like capabilities, like we have the capability to be harmed. We have the capability to do harm is what I'm talking about. Like we don't have like an essence that's being this way. Right. Yeah. Cause also like when people talk about human nature, they're being like, we're all ready to like stab each other in the back. And then if you look at communities who are poorer because they're poorer, they, they, that human nature is going to come out more or whatever. Like that's the language that they are using to like do racism with extra steps or whatever. Um, but like, it's actually like, well, no, being poorer means that like the ceiling is down here, you know, and your choices Mm. are are fewer and worse choices, you know? Um, and I, like what I was trying to say about Tim's example was just like, if you, um, if Tim says like, that's not on and here's why, like the ceiling, it kind of is raised up. Like 
the the different possibilities in that space for for all of the guys then include saying i don't think it's okay for you to like talk this way about women act this way towards women or whatever like um yeah yeah the um the whole like i think like the um yeah what you were saying about like the racism with extra steps that's like something that we saw like back when I was growing up, I, I talked about this a little bit on stream before, but um, oh. it was in the news in like this, like in the nineties and the early two thousands over here. Um, actually, I think even like later than that, maybe. Yeah. But um, is this the warrior yeah, gene shit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So there was like this whole thing and it was kind of like, why are Maori and Pacifica people more predisposed to crime, which is like, even the way that they frame it, like, why are they predisposed? To crime? And it's like, you know, when you look at like, poverty and all these kind of things like that it's like you know like surely that couldn't be the problem so instead like a bunch of scientists down in um wellington uh did the study and came up with um like the warrior gene and it was like this one gene that um like a lot of yeah like that um i think most kind of uh polynesian people have in common it's like was it mono monoamine oxidized a and they were like, this is the warrior gene. This is, um, you know, like it has a thing to do with like behavioral aggression following provocation and all this kind of stuff like that. And it like was almost immediately thrown out by like other scientists who, you know, were smarter, but it like has persisted in this kind of like cultural kind of discourse. Whereas like even today people will be like, you know, like you see like cops talking about it and shit like that, you know? And it's like this like wild thing where it's like, like there's a way, there's a much simpler solution to this, you know, and it's just that like, you know, the, you know, like there are far more Maori and Pacifica people living in poverty and, you know, when they're in poverty, the ceiling's lower. Like it's, yeah, it's the exact same thing, but it's like, yeah, yeah it's, it's, it kind of to the thing where it's like, they're trying to say it's not community. It's something, it's something ingrained in you and that your community needs to be policed more or like, exactly. Sorry, Kelsey, you were going to say something. Uh, sorry, sorry for interrupting. I think just, yeah, it it's these narratives around criminality just never uh, really allow for, maybe just people are responding to their environment. Maybe they're responding to like the conditions that they're under and the choices that they're given, right? And yeah. um, I just think like, yeah, the one sort of, thing that we haven't like specifically named although we've talked around it I think when thinking about this stuff is is power right and that so much harm is uh enabled because people are like in these positions of power um, whether that's officially in institutions or whether that's socially right and it's understanding like in that like yeah, it's not just that someone has to like have the upper hand in order to be violent to someone, but it's just that they are much more likely to feel able to cause violence or to oppress someone else or whatever. If they yeah, have. like they have like a form of leverage, right? Like, yeah, they have leverage. So if they know that person's not going to be able to, not going to be listened to if they go to the police about me, like who's going to be, you know, like they're much more able to like abuse that person, for example. But also, um, yeah, I guess just the, then in thinking about, what was I going to say? Oh, well, just that like really core to transformative justice is that disruption of power dynamics and really critically looking at the way that um, within almost every uh, structure that has like a hierarchy, you find 
abuses of power, basically, whether that's within workplaces, within hospitality industry, within boardrooms, within government, within religious institutions, or the family, right, as well. Like, when we have these things that mean that actually we are loyal to the person at the top and uh, maintaining their reputation and their like power. Like swearing fealty to the father exactly. or some shit. <laughs> Whether that's the patriarch or the boss yeah. or whoever, um, it means that then there's people who are silenced below, right? And so really trying to find ways that we actually disrupt those power dynamics. And so when we talk about accountability, and what we're often talking about is redistributing those power structures, right? So it's not punishment for someone who's abusing their power to be removed from that position of power. It doesn't mean they're going into prison, right? But it doesn't mean that they then continue on in that same position. And there can be a kind of idea, right, with like, um, you know, these like very high powered people who have um, caused a lot of, harm and um and violence that oh let's just get a a tj practitioner in to just facilitate and they'll just reflect on their behavior and then they'll just carry on and it's like no no they they will not be the ceo anymore yeah, yeah, yeah. the accountability process right they will surrender that power and it will be removed and so it's so much about disrupting these power dynamics because you can't have accountability in these current systems right there's no accountability for what happened um at Grenfell right because it's yeah. just like some bureaucrat signing off a bit of paper and doing these things so it just gets so watered down that like no one's personally responsible right but actually like that was violent and so really thinking about power as like a key I'm, I'm not meaning to undercut the point which I agree with entirely but um the number of MPs who are themselves landlords has increased since Grenfell and I think that those people specifically Redacted. Please carry on, Kelsey. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, absolutely. There definitely are individuals that could be held to account around those decisions. So I guess just thinking about like state violence and the way that it's like, you know, that you don't have to go and like stab a person. And because they would never do that, right? They're not violent, but actually like they're incredibly violent by the policies that they make and, and these kinds of things. Um, but yeah, I guess I just yeah wanted to make that. Yeah, yeah, no, that's like a thing that we talk about a lot down here in regards to um, you know, I guess like like the violence um, that uh, like colonization has kind of um, imparted upon Maori is like this, um, you know, like when you talk about that, a lot of people think of like oh, you know, like the direct violence of you know, like you know like of colonization like the legitimate like kind of boots on the ground you know like burning down villages and stuff like that but then there's like you know like this everyday violence that you know like has just a high death toll a death toll of like you know like um like kind of like discrimination in like you know everything from like healthcare and hospitals to like housing and all these kind of things where it's like these things end up in harm like you know like this is violence like it leads to um yeah you know it leads to people getting sick people getting hurt people dying and stuff and like this is this is just another form of violence it's kind of like the um you know what do they call it like the subtle knife you know as opposed to like you know like a direct um you know like in a direct attack whatever um, sometimes i yeah. feel like tim makes dune references and then and then and then checks my camera to see if i uh <laughs> oh really no i i didn't even think about that as, as a dune reference until you said it I was like, oh, shit, that's a dune okay reference. okay <laughs> but no no, no know, but, um 
yeah yeah but uh no but yeah you know like, like thinking of violence as like this like this bigger picture violence like this um thing that affects communities as opposed to you know just like some dude punching another dude or whatever um there's like a kind of like there's like this whole thing with um like traditional like maori um kind of um the approach to justice and stuff which is very like um you know like i guess like it's very like kind of like restorative or transformative kind of justice. Like it's not, I wouldn't say it was like either in one camp or the other, but it kind of floats between them um, that a lot of um, like, there's been a lot of, there's been a lot of um, like uh, academics that have kind of looked into it. And there's been a couple of really amazing Maori academics that have written extensively about like kind of getting solidarity between kind of like modern, let's say transformative and restorative justice practices and you know like the traditional what we call kopapa maori um kind of like you know practices or whatever um some of them in particular we've talked about before on stream like matua um, moana jackson who just passed away last year amazing man um who yeah he was a treaty lawyer that kind of talked about um yeah like this kind of stuff like the that kind of like um like he was like a staunch abolitionist had a lot to do with i mean there's like uh, some people that we'll, we're going to probably have on the stream sometime soon. I won't go too far into that, but um, yeah, with like groups like people against prisons, Aotearoa and stuff like that. And um, talking about how it's like, not just, you know, like there's like this kind of like liberal idea of like, you know, like uh, colonization and what it did to us Maori, like, you know, the disposition of land, but then there's like people thinking like, oh, we solve this by, you know, like, I guess like thriving in the existing system whereas like he was more like no we need to you know we need to um look at the existing system and how that is harming us and how that you know per perpetuates harm and stuff so um yeah you know it's like um it, it's i i find it really interesting when it's like people all around the world are kind of um you know talking about like kind of community justice and stuff and it all comes back to the same kind of things you know and it's like all these people all over the world have developed these different systems and it's like man like we, there's like one thing we can you know that we all have in common that we learn from and this works in all these different situations yeah and then um you know but i guess like you know like no one ever <laughs> like then you know like all these like governments and these states around the world are just like hmm i wonder if there's anything we could learn from that no i think uh, i feel like I, on the history oh. of it um graeber says in debt the first five thousand years that like punitive justice has a lot to do with the history of debt like the oldest legal code like Hammurabi right is like an eye for an eye because it's an idea of like a debt that has to be paid off and like that's not how human beings actually normally work like the the whole system of debt and credit is like mediating unknowns or whatever and like like you just like you said like people uh, human beings come to the same conclusions uh, and then capital has yeah, a very like different idea human beings working in community with each other kind of yeah you know, so um, I, yeah i would i would just agree that absolutely that um a lot of the concepts are based on so many indigenous and first nations communities and shared by those communities but also the fact that prisons have not always been a thing um, and so humans had to respond to harm and violence and problems and community conflict uh, and, and all the types of violence, uh, 
you know, aside from like social media bullying, they didn't have to respond to that. Uh, but, you know, all of these other types of violence they had to respond to before prisons uh, were ever uh, kind of invented or, or thought of. And that the state, um, even the idea of like the modern state is a European invention that came out of war. Uh, Westphalia. So all of these things that our society is based on are actually very violent concepts. Yeah, 100%. The state yeah. is based on who has a monopoly of violence. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. In a, in a set amount of in a set amount of space, right? Prison is 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 based on the state's ability to enact violence against you. The death penalty is our right to murder you, right? Our right to arrest you is our right to kidnap you. Our right to uh, kidnap your children and put yeah. them in state care. So all yeah. of these types of violence, the state, which is based on violence, says, hey, I can enact all these types of violence on you. And so the truth is, when we really look at violence, like you all said, it's all around us in our society. And that's uh -huh. what we're disrupting, really, with abolition. I think yeah. we want to um, really share that peace about joy as well and community and that's why I so love what you your point Tim as well when you're talking about the connections as far as um in the Maori community as far as connections to more traditional values around not just you know how we respond to harm and punishment as far as decolonizing in terms of you know returning to language and these type of things but also in terms of our day-to-day -day lives how we live how we interact with nature how we treat each other how we raise our children you know, all of those things is being influenced by by these violent ideas. And for us, we're really excited about exploring, you know, what what those new and sometimes recovering those old ideas as well. And that's yeah, yeah. The, the actual if I could do a shameless plug. The title of the book, Brick by Brick, came from. Oh, yeah. Um, cool. Uh, how we build a world without prisons because yes. it's recognizing that we have to tear down bricks so yes we have to destroy things and eliminate things but really the more important and more exciting part is the building is the creation yeah. um and all of the things that we have to do as a society and transform in order to live in a world that doesn't have prisons yeah yeah, yeah that's um yeah what you were saying um you know about like you know the cultures existing without prisons and stuff I think is really like um that's something that the, who I was just talking about, Moana Jackson, um, that was like a core part of what he talked about. And, he, you know, like um, this idea that like societies had, you know, had been doing this for a long time and that, you know, we didn't need that. And like, yeah, one thing that really struck me when I was younger, when I first became familiar with his work was like, he had said, um, you know, there's like nothing in the Treaty of Waitangi that allows the um, kind of, you know, settler government to, to imprison or, you know, take the child of a uh, of a Maori person or whatever like that and that you know I was like oh shit like he's right like they you know like built the state and then they kind of just yeah whatever but um no but I I think like the way that these these kind of justice um these traditional justice systems popped up is really interesting to me because for us it was kind of like um you know like uh it, it differed from you know, there was like the Polynesian settlers that came to New Zealand and became Maori and um kind of spread out and developed these little communities groups we call them there's like tribes iwi and then there's like hapu which is like the sub tribe that everyone lived in and so it was like if someone in your hapu did something really bad you still had to live in community with that person like you know for the rest of your life it was like the communities the the hapu was so small 
and you still had to work together you still had to do things together and stuff like you can have to see that person you know like every day or whatever so it's like the whole thing became that um you know like the entire community was involved in you know like these kind of processes it wasn't just like oh this guy like stole your you know like dog skin cloak you know you gotta like sort it out between you or whatever like that it was like no everyone's gonna sit around and we talk about it it's like you know like why did why did he steal that like what was it what was his need and you know like um and so that's carried on through these days where it's like um I know I know people that have been through transformative justice processes that have been led by Maori orgs that have been like amazingly successful like I know people that have like I know I know people that have been seriously harmed by other people in their community and now they're friends and now they you know they smile at each other in the street and you know like they like it's like it's like they've kind of like even become closer since then through the process of actually, you know, like going through these transformative justice processes. And I know that sounds really like, that sounds wild. Like, you know, there's probably some people listening, thinking like, man, like imagine like this person that has seriously harmed me. I don't think I could ever look them in the eye again. And I think that's kind of like, you know, it's like we kind of have to start organizing towards, you know, like, um, like we want to build communities where it's like you wouldn't, you know, you would never have to think that, you know, like that you would, um, you know, that there is like a pathway back for, for everyone, you know, like, um, and that therefore whatever happens as bad as it might be, there's, um, you know, we have to build communities that are strong enough and are trusting enough and caring enough that we can, you know, that we can find that pathway back for people that do do, you know, even really horrific things. I think it's like that in the queer community as well. Like we have to have each other's backs um, and like uh, try to resolve stuff internally so much of the time. And like, we're, you know, the, the, I really love the name brick by brick. I think it's fantastic. Like I, 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 yeah, like we're trying to make a, a way of dealing with stuff that doesn't um, just like put people, like just completely throw people away, but also like, I don't know, I get, yeah. I, I'm itching to reference more Graeber shit. Fuck. Okay. Um, there's a. David Graeber has another really good book called On Kings, and he talks in there about the concept of the Stranger King, right? Which is like um, kings throughout history were more respected when they were like kind of a uh, someone who'd conquered everyone, basically. And it, the the idea of like punitive justice has so much to do with like that the state can enact the same thing to everyone. And some of the basis is of like liberal understanding of what's wrong with policing now is like the state isn't doing the same thing to everyone when actually it's like the state shouldn't be doing shit to anybody at all. Like Tim was just saying about like, you know, um, like, you know, the settler state having no right to like take, take Maori kids yeah, away yeah. or whatever. Like, you know, that's, that's, that's completely fucked. And I think like, I don't know. Yeah. Like, we're living under a common agreement that there's this like super entity, this massive thing that can do whatever the fuck it wants. And our biggest gripe is often just the, like, it doesn't do it the same terrible things to everyone the same. And like, we, we deserve better than that. We, we, we like deserve to get to just take care of each other instead. Yeah. 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 yeah, Absolutely. There's, um, yeah. To take that into like, uh, like concrete examples of kind of reforms and things that are being, proposed or even like campaigns that 
say they might be like, a, you know, a step towards abolition, but it's like, you have to like really make sure that it's going to be that and that it doesn't get taken into reform, right? Like just collecting statistics on things like how racist joint enterprise legislation is um, could just lead to them being like, well, let's apply it more equally across young people regardless <laughs> of their race. You know, that's not what we're trying to do. We're trying to be like, because we know these these laws are just mechanisms to enforce racism, that's why we need to get rid of these kinds of laws altogether, right? Like it's that it's why we need to like get people out of prison. We need to make people less vulnerable to being criminalized instead of um yeah, instead of uh just focusing on these like small things that just are like, oh well let's identify this and then let the state decide on administering it more fairly. Like no, it's it's the system itself that is the issue. Right? Yeah. Like don't talk to cops isn't just a piece of advice for in the moment you have you and your buddies are doing something that you want the cops to not know about it's a way of life like it's you yeah. want exactly. a world where you never ever talk to cops because you don't endorse the the prison system the the entire like thing um and also is chatting to your friend who's thinking about applying to being a cop and talking to them about why that's not a great career field for them to go into. Like, this is also the work of being in community with people because it's people in community with somebody who's a cop or a prison guard. And you need to chat to them about their line of work and why they chose to do that. Or you have a friend who's like, got an application to be a security guard for G4S. And you need to chat to them about why that's not the best thing to do, right? Because a lot of times, like this is, a, is a, another gripe that I have, I think, with a lot of people who are, are so-called leftists. It's like you walking around with all this wonderful socialist knowledge in your head and everybody around you is being sucked in by all the systems and you're not sharing that knowledge that you have so to, to, so that's why I think for Cradle we focus so much on political education and skill sharing and you know not positioning ourselves as experts but just positioning ourselves who are all as people who are also experimenting with this because so much of this is stuff that we have to do in our everyday lives as well like and we always talk about kill the cop in your head because there's times when I've been in situations where I'm like bro somebody come get this man right but nobody's gonna come and get them right no one's outside person's gonna swoop in and save the situation right and that's how we've been trained from you know being kids and having conflict and oh go tell the teacher you know so we've always thought that this outside person is going to come in and solve the situation um and so I think yeah we we have to get more active about how do we actually translate the things that we're learning into our day-to-day lives and share them with the people around us even when it's hard or sticky or difficult because if we're not doing that work with those people that we're in community or family or hang out with or work with, then who's doing it? Yeah. I think the, I think the state is aware of that as well. Like there was, um, I was in the cinema the other day, um, uh, shout out Peck and Plex. And they were, um, the, the trailers are running before and like, there was, okay. So like the Met has bumped up there for non-Brits, the Met, uh, one of the oldest and shittiest forms of modern policing, um, <laughs> have um, since the like high profile pointing out that one of their cops was a, a, a rapist and murderer, they've been stepping up their recruitment campaigns and they keep on putting people of color like front and center in those. And like all oh. of the ads on the tube mm-hmm. and shit, it's always like a cop 
who's a person of color to be like, Hey, see, it's inclusive policing. Um, and there was this, there was this fucking ad which ran. And I think this is like, this is what I mean when I say, I think the state is aware of this, what you're saying, Chelsea, like it was this ad that this black guy talking about his sister and she's like, she's a black woman. I think she's also a Muslim. And he's talking about all, he's like, I had all these fears about her joining the Met because what if she, I've heard that they're racist and they'll, they'll all be sexist. And what if they discriminate against her because of her religion as well? Um, but ever since she's done it, she's been so happy and it's all great. And she's having a great time. And like, so like, I have a, I have a, I have a bit of a personal policy that when the, that when like the absolute most vile propaganda of the capitalist system is played in public places, um, someone should be yelling about how wrong it is. And if nobody yeah. else is, it's going to be me. Um, so like, so like I'm just like loudly being like, oh, are they just running this as if we all don't know about Sarah Everard? Are they just yeah. running this right now as if we all don't like completely know what the Met does? Um, and but like I think they're they're targeting exactly what you just said that like they know loads of people will be about to apply to be a cop and someone mm. in their life will be like, hey, don't fucking do that. And they're trying to they're trying to run the opposite. Like they're literally trying to not even target the people who would be potential cops they're trying to target people in that ad who would say don't be a cop and tell them yeah, that yeah. it's going to be fine it's, it's like yeah. so fucked yeah and it's what it is is yeah it's this uh reaction to the movement the movement that's yeah. been drawing attention to racism within the police to the way that these systems function and they are like constantly doing this damage control right and so they're like sp- and they're specifically targeting marginalized communities like you said for their recruitment and what will that will translate to is further surveillance and disruption and violence in our communities and violence not just in terms of like oh there's a cop in your like friendship group so they're more likely to call the cops no but like people who become prison guards and become cops and stuff like it's a horrible job and so then you end up taking it out on the people around you like yeah. the reality like that advert that you saw they specifically say that but it's a, specifically because it's a lie like the actual opposite is true like when a prison is built in a town and people in that town start working in that prison the domestic violence rates go up right yep. because it's such a horrible job to be doing that to people that and it's going to attract like the worst elements of you is going to bring all of those things out. So yeah. then, you know, and you're treated so badly in those jobs. It's so horrible. All of these things you then take it out within your community and there's less accountability, right? If you're a cop, you're now protected by the state. So if you wanted to be an abuser, now's your chance. Right. And so it creates more violence within our marginalized communities. And it's just so important to like identify like it's a flat lie that it will make us more safe that it will help the way that we are treated by the police by any of this because your allegiance becomes to that institution in order for you to survive within that institution and then you turn on your own people yeah i like the thing i'm always saying is like most serial killers have applied and failed to be get to be police officers so what do you call a serial killer who passed the entrance exam not guilty so literally so many of them have got legal experience, have used like the ways that cops work in order to identify like, oh, this is the way to get away with it. Like, yeah. So you two have to head off pretty soon. So uh, we have some questions from the chat. We have a Q&A section. I'm just uh, saying this now. So if anyone in the chat has a question uh, and didn't know that you were going to head off in about 15 minutes, then um, ask it now. We'll log it. We'll ask 
ask Chelsea and Kelsey. So, um, but in the meantime, some people have already asked questions and we've held them. So uh, Disabled Jess asked, uh, do you do training for different community groups on how to take on these approaches, including groups of which uh, groups which are not exclusively for people of color. Um, I know trans orgs, which would massively benefit from developing their transformative justice practices. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, we'll give a quick answer to that one. Yes, we do. You can email us. Um, yeah, we'll work with any group that feels like they're aligned with the values of, of transformative justice and want yeah. to do these things. That's awesome. Fantastic. Cool. Um, in that case, right. um, Tim? Yeah, well, B-Rat has one here saying, not sure if it's a good question for the stream, but what if you give someone critique and they just point blank ignore it? Do you just keep trying or should you stop being in community with them? That's an interesting one. Do you guys uh, have any thoughts on that? I guess um, there's a lot within that of like, how are you giving that critique? What is the critique? How is it, right? Is this someone who can't take, oh, I'd like you to you know wash that dish that you left there about that, or are they is it something like very big that you're trying to critique about them I think for me um and yeah not to be like yeah but like I guess for me I really like to think about values when I'm thinking about giving people feedback right and it's like um some people you're you're unlikely to listen to feedback if someone's giving it in a way that means that like it's not aligning with like what you're actually concerned about right if it's not like within your values um and so trying to like work with people in your life to like understand like what is it that's important to them what are our shared values and what are the things that I can be like well we've talked about this and like I don't think that that, that behavior really aligned with that thing that you said is your own principles your own values right so it's like it's that self-accountability thing right it's not about just being like I'm just gonna keep saying this until you believe it, but it's like, how can we actually like help people like get to that place themselves? I do think, yeah, of course, if someone's being then harmful in return, then like there may be a point where you're like, I can't, I can't do this. I've got to put a boundary here, right? Um, but it's it's not like cut and dry, I guess. Um, I think, yeah, trying to just give one conversation is like unlikely to work, like I'd said before as well. I don't know if Chelsea, you have sometimes okay I have two two things about this one of them is kind of like old lady wisdom and what my grandmother would say sometimes someone shows you through their behavior that you don't have values that align yeah someone has shown me before that I thought we were friends and what friendship means to you and what friendship means to me are two different things, right? So I could sit here and try and, you know, convince you that what you did is wrong and this is why it hurt me and everything. So it's like, what I'm saying is you also have to have a bit of discernment in the situation to understand, okay, like if you're just resistant to all critiques, some Sometimes people are shitty. Can we also say that? Sometimes people are not self-aware, not yep. kind, not, you know, empathetic. Sometimes someone just doesn't care that they're having yeah. a negative impact on you. And in that case, yes, you absolutely have to draw a boundary and say, you know what? I care about me. I respect me, even if you don't. And I don't deserve this kind of, you know, kind of behavior. 
Yeah. But then on the other side, so I feel like sometimes we also have to gauge, like, if you keep trying to talk to someone about their behavior and they're never willing to be reflective, they're never willing to, you know, think about it from a different vantage point, different perspective, that person is showing you that they're unwilling to be accountable for their behavior. So they're showing you they're not ready to be in a certain type of relationship or a certain type of community with you. And I think sometimes also we have to believe people and stop wanting to hold them to a level of emotional, you know, uh, emotional maturity that they've not yet reached. Like that person is unwilling to be accountable for basic things that they do. You know, they need to grow up some more and maybe you just can't, you know, rock with them that way. So yes, on the one hand, absolutely what Kelsey said, you know, it's about the approach and how you talk to them as well. You know, um, but the most important thing I feel like is that piece of discernment and recognizing, okay, is this a repetitive behavior or this kind of one-off thing? Because one of my friends act wild, you know, did something wildly out of their character in a one-off situation. And then I tried to talk to them about it and they're like, whatever, I don't want to hear it. I know there's something much deeper there. Yeah, right? yeah, absolutely. They might have been triggered. Something might have happened. They might have, right? So there's something deeper there. And so if we uh-huh. have a deeper relationship. I'm going to dig into that. But on the other hand, if I don't know you that well and you just start acting crazy like that and I'm trying to call it out and you're brushing it off, I'm like, listen, I'm not going to stick around and be mistreated, right? So I can, so I think that's, that's where the discernment piece kicks in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to add something from um, personal experience, like, if we're talking about like living by our values, one thing that I w- want to like caution people with is like, if you are trying to practice transformative justice and something that you think is like people who've been harmed by this person don't need to be around this person. If they're harming you, that includes you like live by your yeah. principles. Like this is something that I like not to get too in- into any details, but like just put a lot of work into someone uh trying to help them then to do better and then like eventually realize actually they're just being incredibly abusive to me all the time and like mm, you know now we don't talk anymore and it's like it's to answer to, so to answer the question about like to sorry to point back to the question about like should i stop being in community with this person if they're hurting you that's just like yeah <laughs> if you if yeah. you if you if that's what you believe like you know you have a right to like just don't let like a commitment to trying to help people change allow you to just get like hurt yourself um but also to 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 re 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 reiterate what kelsey said like it's not going to be just one conversation so like you know it's worth putting the work in when you're very invested in someone it's also worth taking care of yourself uh because you're a person who yeah is worth taking care of yeah and i think like another thing about this is um you know when we're talking about like you know hitting someone up about something like that like i think um it can be good to you know if it is like you know we're talking about building communities to um not just you know like i mean you can hit up someone one-on-one if you think that's the best way to do it but if and sometimes it's a better way to approach it as a community and talk with your other friends and be like hey you know have you noticed how he's been you know like the student has been saying these things recently like we should all make the effort to, if he says things like that, that we should, you know, we should speak up because if it's just one person, then, you know, like people be like, you know, he could just be like, oh, that's, you know, that's Tim. And he's just like always annoying about that, you know, social justice <laughs> shit or whatever, you know, but like if everyone's pushing back, then, you know, like I think there's more incentive for them to actually think about what they're saying and be like, oh, okay. You know, actually 
actually Andrew Tate isn't the top G, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, you know, like I'm, I, I love you, Tim, for saying that. And oh, I just thanks. want to give you a bullhorn because I think that so many men um, and masculine people who are struggling with self-worth and also struggling with understanding the shifts and changes in society and what that means for them are being sucked into that super toxic, yeah. like yeah. fascist mm-hmm. wormhole. Oh, and yeah. it, it breaks my heart because I think that there is so much love and acceptance for men that toxic masculinity does not offer them. So I just want to appreciate you for saying that. I'm just like, thank you for saying that so much. Any space that you're in and you get shit for talking shit about Andrew Tate, just know that I love you for it. I think we need more masculine men to say, no, that's not what the fuck being a man is about. And I, mm-hmm. and I, and I, I just have to emphatically say that because... That's terrible. And again, that's a lot of violence and ways of using power to exploit other people, using your money, using capitalism, using Mm -hmm. um, misogyny and control over women, sex, your body, what type of clothes you wear, what type of watch you have, all of these things to define your value as a person, you know. So, um, sorry, I will get off the soapbox of We're talking about men too much. It's counter-revolutionary. Let's get back to the question. No, um, no, we need men <laughs> for the revolution. No, no it's... We want to take out the trash. We appreciate you appreciating Tim. He is a token I, himbo. You, like, we... Much, <laughs> yeah. We, um... Uh, we have a question from Shafiq Mog who said, could someone please explain the differences between restorative and transformative justice? Oh, yeah. Um, I'll try to do it in sort of a, a simple way. And there's absolutely um, within transformative justice as a as a model, often people use uh, like restorative justice circles and some of the practices um, as one of the tools that might be if, if people do want that. Um, I guess like kind of the reason that people have been using transformative justice as opposed to restorative justice, like using that language um, has been, from my understanding, because restorative justice, there's like an implication and often sort of a a process that's looking towards, um, yeah, I guess, well, and this is the thing, I think there are restorative justice practitioners who would disagree that this is actually how it works, right? But I think the the concept behind or often what people say when they think of restorative justice is they're thinking like, oh, so we were just restoring the situation. We're like moving to a place of restoring the relationship and we're just like putting it into like, we're just trying to get to a place where like we've resolved the conflict and like it's restored, but we're not necessarily in a new place. Whereas transform, like transformative justice is really looking at like transforming the conditions as to like how this happened. Um, on a cultural level and a community level and a structural level um, as well as what happens sort of within individuals in restorative justice there absolutely is space within those circles to talk about why something happened like what the person who caused harm was feeling like there can be like a lot of transformation within a circle absolutely but yeah I guess like transformative justice as a model is really focusing on like looking at the roots of the issues and is like a wider range of practices that look at transport that, that like wider transformation I hope that yeah mm-hmm. I would add one one tiny piece which helped me 
which is that, and one of the reasons that I love transformative justice is that the person who caused harm does not have to be involved for a transformative process to happen. Um, for us to address it so it's like say we all went out on a night out and like something terrible happened in our friend group and we've actually excommunicated the friend who like did the unacceptable thing like roofie Douglas, for example we've excommunicated that friend and we're actually not in community with that person anymore so we're not actually trying to like restore the relationship with that person we've decided we don't want them to be in our friend group anymore but actually the other six of us who got roofie like yo we still have to heal from this. We have to talk mm -hmm. about this. We have to address this. Like we've still been affected by it. We still, you know, and now moving forward, when we go out, like how are we going to respond to, you know, how we feel about mm -hmm. each other? All of those things can still take place in a transformative process, even if the person who caused the harm is not there and not involved. And I think uh, transformative is powerful as well because you can have multiple transformative processes going on at the same time. So say this person caused harm and they're in their community having a transformative process and this person who's been harmed, right? They're in their community have a transformative process, right? So it's, 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 it's really expansive and open. And uh, I think it gives a lot more wiggle room to a lot of survivors who like don't really want to have a restorative process with the person who harmed them, don't really want to have shit to do with them, could really care less if they become a better person. And that's real because there's no correct way to respond to, you know, um, being harmed. So we have to make room for people who don't want to help them. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't want to chat yeah. to them. We have to have space and room for those people as well. Yeah. And that's, and that's why I think, thank you so much for like that that nuance, Chelsea, because I think that's why restorative justice has been somewhat co-opted into the criminal justice system, right? Um, because of that emphasis still on the person who caused the harm and not so much on mm -hmm, the survivor mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. um, within transformative justice. That's why transformative justice can't, it can't be wedged into a criminal yeah, it's justice incompatible. Process, Whereas yeah. restorative processes, it can, it's often now like there's like a hundred restorative justice organizations in the UK they all work with the criminal justice system I think like pretty much like 99 out of 100 or something right because it's like someone serves time and then they go through a process with the person or the family or whatever who's impacted and that's part of them getting parole or that's part of them getting out of prison and it's gotten co-opted into into that whereas obviously from how we've described transformative justice you couldn't wedge that into oh, they served time and now there's transformation. Yeah. You know, fundamentally, we're not going to cause more harm by putting them in a cage Yeah. Um, before we do any of that self-reflection. You know what I mean? Like we're going to uh, intervene on violence. Absolutely. We might need to like separate people or keep someone away from someone else or these kinds of things, but we're not going to take away their basic needs. We're not going to, yeah, take like full control over their lives and put them in a cage, right? Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, um, I, I think this is a good note to stop on because I think uh -huh. I guess have to actually go. Um, yeah. So but we like to set homework. Our chat a little <laughs> little swats, and they love having homework to do. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, Chelsea and Kelsey, do you have any like things people could go away and do if they've enjoyed? Um, you know, besides like checking out Cradle Community, like next steps people could do if they're interested in this. Definitely. I mean, if you are interested in hearing more, there's like a lot of great like abolitionist and transformative justice resources that are coming out these days. And of course, we'd love you to buy Brick by Brick, which is published by Hajar Press. 
I guess maybe I can read some of the like reflective questions that we've got in the book um, for people to like think about as well. Uh -huh. um, so things like, who could you rely on to support you if you're experience, experiencing violence? Who could give you material support, like housing, food and travel money? Who could give you emotional support? Who could help you reflect on your behavior if you caused harm? Who do these people rely on for support? Who could be in your pod if you built stronger relationship with them? And like start mapping like your resources in your community. I think like a first step is so, as a first step is just great to be starting to like map what are, who are the people in my life? Who is it that I wanna be having these conversations with? And how do we plan for potential violence or crises or other things that we're all gonna go through at different way, in different times and the ways that we can support each other because it's very hectic if you wait till harm already happens and then suddenly everyone's like, oh, me? I didn't know I needed to do it, you know? Talk about it, talk about it beforehand. Um, other questions such as how do you support your friends to reflect on their actions when they've hurt someone or have done something out of alignment with their values? Um, and think of a time you felt the need to call the police. Can you identify what you needed in that moment? And how else could you have been supported by those around you to get what you needed? So if you are someone who's coming from a place of, I've been in these experiences, I didn't know what else I could do. Like, let's let's workshop those things. Let's have a think through of like in the in what are all the resources that we could build mm -hmm. in order to, to change those situations and mm -hmm. not escalate them to, to the state. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Homework? Yes, I'm going to give great. you like some rapid fire things you can do that will make you feel great and you can tell your mom about it and she'll be proud of you. Oh, <laughs> first one is a really cool initiative called Ask Angela. So it's yes. a really simple thing uh, that has been engaged at a lot of bars where essentially the bar staff uh, are there and available and anyone can go to the bar and just say, hey, is Angela working tonight? Um, and essentially they can get a taxi or Uber or get some support to basically get out of a dangerous situation. If you go out, wherever you go out, your local pub, your local bar, your local restaurant, that place that you and your friends like to go get hammered, go talk to the managers there about Ask Angela. Um, so if it's a place that you hang out in, make sure that Ask Angela is something that the staff is aware of. Uh, and it's a really simple concept, and it's something that you can do really easy just on a night out. Just go talk to the staff about Ask Angela and see if they know about it. Um, and that can be a good way of you creating a safer space in a space that you go out in. Uh, Hell yeah. I had a friend that actually um, printed out a bunch of them. He was working in like hospital and bars and stuff. And he just printed out a little bunch of like mini poster things and just gave them to his other friends that worked at other bars and was like, do you want to just put this up like out the back in your staff room or something like that so that, you know, people will see it. And yeah. And, you know, just like, I mean, you probably don't want to put it in front of the bar because then people will know what's, you know, like then yeah. the, bad people will know what's up but just <laughs> out the back so that you know the staff see it there's often, know, like, oh, the, it's mine. It's it. there's often the poster telling you to ask uh, uh, like ask for angela like in the women's bathroom so that it's oh, like right. yeah, cool. it's still in a space people will see and they'll know to do the thing is that like, what you guys got so, in there i've been wondering <laughs> i will say about that campaign that if you're doing that and like recommending people ask for angela to like also recommend the good night out campaign so that the people who work there are actually trained to know what to do if someone oh, asks cool. for Angela. 
Mm. to know how to respond to disclosures or to because like the poster like I don't think that came, campaign actually does like that end of it so yeah. working with those two together is really is really great so then the people who actually work in bars and stuff know how to respond to someone being like hey something's happened like I feel really like not okay with it like yeah um yeah so to to combine those awesome and then the last thing I would just say is um the next time you're in a situation and you want to rip someone's face off, i.e. you want to be super critical of them, be super mean to them, talk about how horrible of a person they are, how could they have done this terrible thing? Think about, well, first off, have you ever done that terrible thing? Because remember what we said earlier about we all have the possibility to experience harm and also perpetrate harm so it's that first thing of like remembering they're a human being and they're perpetrating harm but also looking at yourself and saying is this harming me right first off because if something is harming you you always have a always have the right to say get your fucking foot off my neck and you don't have to be nice about it right so if something's harming you you can speak up about it right Mm -hmm. so ask yourself is this harming me and or am i in community with this person before you jump to, you know, getting getting all up in their all up in their grill because, you know, someone I'm not in community with could be harming me, and I have the right to say that, right? Um, and and no one should be policing that, right? Um, so like Dave Chappelle, he can always get the smoke from me because um he's transphobic and I don't fuck with that. So I'm not in community with him, but he can always get the smoke, right? Because he's harming <laughs> me and and my homegirls, and I don't like that. So it's like, yeah, it's like if it's harming you, speak up about it. Um, and if you're in community with that person, absolutely don't be afraid because if you really love somebody, you got to be real with them. So if you have friends that have behaviors that you've seen that are problematic and you haven't called it out because you haven't been sure how to, you know, you can check out our resources, the five Bs bystander intervention. Think of different ways to have those conversations with your with your homeboys and the people that are close to you. But the most important thing is that the people you're in community with, that you're willing to lean on them and be a bystander when you're in those situations. And that will empower you to then when you go out in public in society, you feel more empowered and comfortable to be a bystander and for strangers and people that you don't know. So yeah, thanks everyone for letting us be here. It's my first ever time on Twitch, so uh, or a stream or. I hope you had a good first time on a stream. Yeah, I think you did amazing. Yeah, yeah. you did Both really of well. You were um were great. Yeah, really yeah. amazing and insightful. Um, yeah, thanks for all that you do. Thanks for um, yeah, you know, like everything. The workshops, the publishing, it's great. Um, yeah, I'm definitely gonna be um be checking out the Spotify playlist as well i'm gonna be listening to this on my way into oh, yeah. uh, on my way into work on the train um yeah cool so yeah. thanks for coming along um Thank you. take care thanks now. yeah cool bye we'll oh um we forgot to grab their social media handles off them before they go looks like it's cradle community on instagram and twitter their website is cradlecommunity.co.uk and the book is published by uh hajar h-a-j-a-r press uh dot com and the book is called uh, Br- a brick by brick 
So if you want to check out all their stuff, that's where you can find it. I and, looked it up and um, there's like a bunch of books called Brick by Brick. So it's Brick by Brick, How We Build a World Without Prisons. So, okay, yeah. nice. It's a good, yeah, yeah. It's a good um, name, but too many people have realized that, I guess. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. there's lots of Lego <laughs> books about it. So, yeah. cool. but, um, I really like the homework. I think I I think I might have a most based thing next week that comes straight from Chelsea and Kelsey, actually. Um, and if you want to... Um, support what we do we have a patreon as well um it's patreon.com slash red underscore planet uh it feeds conrad uh delicious gruel so if you if you like conrad eating gruel and want him to eat more then you can um then you can go and support us there but uh in all seriousness we 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 want to expand the project red planet we want to do it even better and um meeting our first goal has let us pay conrad to be our producer and he has made the show infinitely better already yeah, and continues yeah, yeah. to all the time um we're way better organized we have tons more uh, planning meetings and keep on track and he's also incredible at you know like reaching out and getting guests so like we appreciate the hell out of conrad um if we hit our next goal we will be getting an editor on um and one of the really cool things about that would be uh, besides just like sharing around clips on social media or whatever would be us being able to uh make some like documentary content we really want to get out to some of the like um climate activist camps and like see what they're up to and then like cut together little mini features for red planet based on that so yeah if you if you help us hit that goal we'll we'll be able to do that and also mule has promised to play a TTRPG with us if you hit that goal. And <laughs> yeah, I, that's right. I I'm about that. Probably equally excited for both, but like <laughs> uh whichever one, you know, whichever one tickles your fancy, if either of them do, um, those would be what would happen if we could hit our next goal. Uh if you want to check out the Patreon, we have various tiers. Uh we have a two dollar tier called Sprite Mode. We have a uh ten dollar tier called Goblin Mode. Uh, a $20 tier called Beast Mode. Um, and you get varying levels of, you get access to the Discord with all of those. You can hang out with us. We still haven't done any of the Discord hangouts, but we're going to do them uh, for goblins. Uh, we also have stickers for goblins. We have pins for beasts. Um, and I guess the last thing to say is that we have um, we have a, a, a sicko now. So the highest yes. tier of Patreon reward uh, is that as well as the, the stickers and the pins and the Discord and the Discord hangouts, hypothetically, uh, you also get a shout out uh, at the end of the stream. So thank you very much to Goblin Games NZ, who yes. is our current only resident sicko. Resident sicko. Yeah. The resident sicko of Red Planet. Thank you for helping to make this possible. And yeah, yeah. Um, everybody check out patreon.com slash Red Planet. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Cool. cool. So um, what if I want to hear more from my, uh, my good friend, Kira Chats? Where can, I, uh, where can I track her down? Well, you can find me on my Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash Kira Chats. Um, my Twitter, twitter.com slash Kira Chats. Um, also my socials, which are linked on my Twitter and my, um, and my, uh, and my, uh, my uh, excuse me, my Twitch which I can't, it's link tree. It's link tree. My link tree is Kira chats. Basically. Yeah. I never know how the URL is actually spelled. The period <laughs> link goes somewhere dot e. Link yeah, yeah. E slash Kira chats. E. Thank you. That's and then you can, check out all my, e. <laughs> you can check out all my, uh, my not safe for work. Uh, not a lot on Twitch socials there. So uh, please. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. But I thought I, I was the one to... who was TOS. <laughs> right. <laughs> If I want to find uh, uh, someone uh, like Sophie, and I 
and and maybe Sophie's Twitter when it when it becomes uh, suspended. Yeah. Uh, where can I find that? Uh, I can't promise not to make the same tweet again because I did. I, so I got so I got like twelve hour lockout for doing this tweet where I said some of my favorite words, and then I got back on Twitter and I just said the same tweet again, and now I have a You're week so off. I can't promise I'm not going to do the same tweet again when I get back on. But if you want to follow me and just see what happens, um, I'm Sophie underscore FRM underscore Mars on Twitter and on Instagram and on Twitch. And I'm Sophie from Mars, all one word, on YouTube and uh, octodon.social if you're on the Fediverse. I see you. Uh, I'm also Sophie from Mars on Tumblr. And yeah, you should check out my Patreon because that is what pays my bills so that's uh patreon.com slash sophie from mars i'm i just put out my yay video um on youtube if people want to check that out it would be really helpful if people would check that out and especially share it because i can't tweet about it right now not allowed i've been naughty um but if you want to see my other stuff when it's done early you can do that by giving me two dollars or more than two dollars but if i wanted to give him two dollars or multiple dollars before we go to Tim, I should also say we are going to be watching Ye, your Ye uh, video together in two days on my channel in two yep. days. Yeah, on on Wednesday. Yep. Um, so check out uh, Twitch. Oh wait, I thought we were doing it on Tuesday. No, I thought. Oh, is it on Tuesday? Hold on, let me make it's sure. It's Tuesday. We're doing it on Tuesday. Okay. Is it a time zone thing? Is it both days? No, that happens for me a lot. Like, yeah, it's I, like Monday right now. So you said me. that about Saturday earlier. I, I thought it was really funny. Tim was like, um, Saturday, so a couple of days ago, and I was like, what? That's yesterday. Oh, <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you know, you're um, right. It is Tuesday. So Tuesday. In, cool. So yeah, in two yeah. days at yeah. noon and Central. So Sophie will be on my channel. We'll be watching okay. uh, her her what seems to be like an extremely like already like taken off really hard um, yeah. video about Kanye West or Yay. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, make sure yeah, you hang out on my channel for that. Anyways, but you were saying about Tim, Sophie. Well, I was saying that I want to give Tim multiple dollars as often as possible. So if, uh, how would I do that, Tim? If you're what, a Tim what, head, what how, can we, yeah. how can you pursue your Tim head You can find uh, me um, real. We've actually started calling them on, um, on my stream. We started calling them foreheads. Um, <laughs> we won't go into the details of that. But um, yeah, you can find me on Twitter, Dread Conquest, um, or you can find me on uh, YouTube and Twitch as Conquest of Dread. I have been streaming a little bit more lately. It is at night time for me. So that is like, I don't know when that'll be for most of you, either super late at night or really early in the morning. But um, uh, no, it's been fun. We just played through Resident Evil 8 and we just started another cool one called Black Book, which is um, which seems like a pretty cool game. Nice. Um, yeah, so I'll be doing that probably a couple of nights this week. But uh, yeah, otherwise, that's pretty much it. So I think we're going to um, we're going to sign off from. Yeah. Here. And I think, well, if you if well, <laughs> If you if you have been mourning the loss of DJ Mule this episode, oh, our little you can peanut. check out DJ Mule at DJ Mule on on everything. I think uh, on Twitter it's DJ Mule underscore. But other than that, it's DJ Mule, and uh, Mule works really hard doing really really good streams because yeah, yeah. he's a lovely and good boy, and we love him. So um, in his memory, if you go to his stream and and do <laughs> sub off Twitch, that would be a respectful thing to do since he fell in that big bin and is dead. Yeah, now. he perished in a bin. And he, he might so come sad. back if, if enough if enough people. Subscri- you just have to like, believe. Comment and we all then, we all um, just have maybe. to subscribe. He will, um, you know, after three days, he will rise from the bin. Um, 
or push he'll the, just stay in the, the bin <laughs> and they'll it, it, maybe he'll maybe he'll boy. just stream from the bin he'll be a bin um, boy <laughs> bin boy, bin, a little bin peanut and now yeah. we've plugged all the stuff and now we've all right. stuff. well we're going to sign off now thank you everyone for for showing up and, and hanging out with us i hope you had a great time yeah this is cool next week we are uh speaking with someone from the gaskell garden project uh same communist time same communist channel <laughs> uh bye right. bye everyone Thanks for listening to this episode of Red Planet. If you enjoyed the show, leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and tell all your comrades about it. Find more on the show, including where to watch live at redplanetshow.com. Follow us on Twitter and TikTok at red underscore planet underscore TV, and there's even more on our Patreon, patreon.com slash red underscore planet. Our music is by Jasper Byrne. Red Planet is produced by Comrade Zimmerman in association with Mercenary Creative. See you next week.